I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein myself and uh, usually my co-host Kyle uh, take turns introducing each other to films, and uh, in this way we catch up on our cinema. Uh, So today, though, we're going to be doing something a little different. Uh, We have a monthly special event on the show that we've been calling Tales from the Shelf. Uh, And here to join me, of course, is uh, Brad from the CinemaSpeak podcast. Say hello to the folks at home, Brad. Hey, how's it going? Uh, Trevor, thanks so much for having me on here again. Yeah, of course. You're always welcome, Brad. Uh, I feel like we always have fun conversations on the show. So, um... Again, if you're not familiar with the premise, uh, Tales from the Shelf episodes are, I should say, Tales from the Shelf uh, (laughs) episodes uh, involve Brad and I uh, swapping war stories um, about the particular (laughs) items we have in our respective physical media collections, um, i.e. our shelves. Uh, We both have pretty extensive Blu-ray and DVD collections, although a DVD may as well be a four-letter word when Brad is involved. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not um, interesting. But yeah. The, the theme for this month's episode is, uh, what is it going to be? It's uh, the Backlog Boogie. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're keeping up with the alliteration here. So Backlog Boogie uh, refers to a phenomenon that tends to happen in the world of collecting, and that would be the dreaded backlog, wherein you've acquired more product than you can possibly handle at any given time. Therefore, it ends up collecting dust somewhere and... Uh, essentially mean mugging you from across the room and just like <laughs> reminding you of the the folly of your existence oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> it's like oh god i've wasted my life <laughs> and yeah. i haven't wasted enough of my life because i still have things that have yet to be watched <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think this one for me uh this might be uh you can change this to like the embarrassment electro or something because uh this might get a little embarrassing the amount of movies that i own that i have not watched uh it's gonna be interesting it's gonna be interesting i'm I'm gonna be sweating i'm already sweating a little bit i gotta be honest oh yeah no this was a little bit embarrassing this is this is going to be (laughs) (laughs) this is not going to be a fun one although we're already laughing so you know it's it's important to take stock of yourself and your 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 collection uh, because yes it it is kind of daunting I, I i can't imagine what it's like for other people walking into the room and seeing your collection <laughs> yeah because like for me it's just, it's just a prop that just it's just there you know i mm-hmm. don't even really think about it but for like other people like say i bring a new person in my into my home they see that and they're like oh shit <laughs> like i know where this guy's <laughs> money goes <laughs> yeah and it's yeah, certainly you gotta spend it on pl- something man <laughs> And certainly not his plumbing or his vehicle, because that's a <laughs> shit box. <laughs> but, Spend it on um, the important things. That's right. Uh, movies that I don't watch. <laughs> uh, so that being said, uh, Brad, um, do you want to flip me for it, or uh, is someone going to step up here and share their share their uh, follies? <laughs> uh, yeah, I can kick it off if you want me to. I, I feel like I've kicked it off in the last few episodes, so I can keep that trend going if you want me to. I, f- I feel like you're you're good at easing the folks into the pool. Where it's All like, right. You know, that that Brad guy, he's he's really polite. He seems like he's got his head <laughs> on his shoulders. <laughs> Let's see what kind oh, of shit he's got. We're about to see how far off my shoulders my head really is on some of these. Um, <laughs> let, let's e- like you said, let's le- ease into it with something that I'm not embarrassed that I haven't watched it yet because I've only owned this one for maybe a month or two. So this isn't even an embarrassment. This is it's still in my backlog, but I'm not sweating at all. 
My shirt is dry on this one. It is a film by William Friedkin that I just recently bought on Blu-ray. It is Cruising with Al Pacino, which was released by Arrow. Now, this film, it's a... I have not seen it, obviously, but it's a crime film, horror film kind of thing. And the interesting thing with this one is, first of all, you know, it is William Friedkin, who is a very celebrated director, director of The Exorcist, French Connection. So in my opinion, it's worth owning in that regard, because even if I dislike it, I'm sure there's going to be something interesting with it being from William Friedkin. Um, But the story behind this movie is very interesting. Do you know anything about uh, the true story of this film? Uh, no, I'm just going to say no. I okay. I know a couple of hazy details that I think I know, but I'm not about to, you know, mess so, up on the air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's basically about uh, Al Pacino plays a cop who goes undercover to catch a serial killer. And it's based on a real life serial killer. I want to say his name was Paul Bateson is the real killer um, in real life. And the crazy thing, which when I first heard about this, my mind was blown. Like, I, th- I think I stayed in bed for three days after I heard about this. Um, William Friedkin, who directed The Exorcist, uh, kind of had a bit of a connection to this real-life serial killer, Paul Bateson, because Paul Bateson worked as some sort of uh, nurse or EMT. Some He was something in the medical field when he wasn't murdering people. And there's a scene in The Exorcist where Regan goes to the hospital and they give her, like, an EKG and all that. And the real-life serial killer, Paul Bateson, is an extra in The Exorcist. He is literally in the movie. There is a real serial killer in The Exorcist, um, which when I found that out, I was like, it just my mind was blown. It's crazy. And so I think it's really interesting that uh, William Friedkin then took that connection and made a movie about it. Now, I don't know if that's the only reason he decided to make that movie or maybe it was a happy accident. I don't know. Maybe not happy accident. That's the wrong word for it. But anyway. Serial killer stories yeah. for the kids. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've been wanting to see this one for a while. And I think uh, with Al Pacino, him going undercover, he kind of goes undercover into the S&M subculture of, I think it's New York. And um, he goes to a lot of you know gay nightclubs. And I think in today's standards, this movie is pretty problematic um, because of how it handles that. Um, so I was, I, I think some people, I think weren't sure if this would ever get a release on Blu-ray or anything like that. So I was pleasantly surprised that it came out. Um, and I am very curious to check it out. And Arrow always does a great job with their releases. So that one will not be on my backlog for too long. I'm really looking forward to checking that one out. Yeah. You sound like you're really anxious to pop that one in and check her out. Um, Uh, yeah, yeah. It's funny you bring up William Friedkin because um, I actually I mentioned this on a previous recording with you, Brad. Um, I actually checked a, a really big movie off of my to-do list um, not too long ago, maybe a couple months back. Um, is a William Friedkin Sorcerer? Yep. Yeah. Um, which is in my mind like a dad movie. <laughs> like <laughs> it's it's like one of those movies I think my dad told me about when I was a kid, and it's like always been in the back of my mind is that that truck movie. Mm-hmm. And like I don't know, are you familiar with it at all? I, I'm familiar with it, but I have not seen it. Um, I I own the original movie that uh, The Wages of Fear, which uh, mm-hmm. Sorcerer was. A re- I own that one on Blu-ray, but I don't own Sorcerer. And uh, The Wages of Fear is in my backlog, I guess, because I have not watched it yet. So there you go. 
<laughs> well, I've actually heard debate as to which is the superior version of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, however, part of what attracted me to it is that I, I really love man on a mission kind of stories. Um, that's that's essentially what Sorcerer is. It's actually like a logistics movie. It's like, mm. how do we get these trucks through that jungle? <laughs> it's like on paper, it sounds like the most boring fucking shit you can imagine. <laughs> but it's it's utterly thrilling, and it's it's nail biting tension all the way through. Yeah. Um, and it's really fascinating to me because I guess his background as a director is a documentarian, and you can kind of see that in the way he shoots things, mm-hmm. uh, especially yeah. in Sorcerer, but even in like The Exorcist, there, like there's kind of like a matter of fact quality to the way he shoots things where it's just like oh it's not meant to really wow you it's just like oh that happened yeah <laughs> a lot of the stuff with reagan in the hospital feels very yes just documentary and some of that's some of the freakiest stuff in the movie if you ask me when they're you know doing the tests on her and yeah holy shit like as a parent i bet that stuff's really unnerving yeah uh, just the idea of like having a sick kid that it's like nobody knows what what the hell the problem is but obviously she's being tortured by this and it's a serious problem but yeah yeah it has a very clinical feel to it and yeah. i feel like something like cruising um that might be a, the correct approach to take with like that kind of potentially as you say problematic or sensitive material mm-hmm. that that's probably like the more appropriate approach to take to stuff with that where it's just yeah. like hey, you know that's that's how it is <laughs> it's like, yeah yeah it's like i'm not really inserting a narrative or an opinion here it's just like we're just filming shit but no um i remember when that came out i think kyle actually read the description for it um when it was first released by arrow and he was mm-hmm. like hmm, i think i'd like to see that yeah uh, so if he forgot about that i'm gonna have to poke him and be like hey Brad says he should be hyped, so get hyped, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I'm hyped for it. I can tell you that much. Not so hyped that I watched it uh, within the first two months of buying it, but I'm still hyped. I'm still hyped. Oh, that's a, that's a new advertising campaign, Brad. Uh, we need we need you with a rain, just like with a shit eating <laughs> grin, and just a caption that says "Get hype." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I need you looking like really meek and like approachable, not not like not like the the Spartan helmet thing, like that motif. Yeah. Just like hey, it's <laughs> like good. Yeah. Well, they gotta they gotta hit different demographics, you know. They gotta hit everybody. Well, yeah, we need to hit the cinematic podcaster demographic because <laughs> that's that's who needs energy drinks. God damn it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, in continuing with with the thread of uh, easing into the pool, um, by the way, your your little spiel about about like, hey hey hey, this has only been on my shelf for like one or two months. It's not a big <laughs> deal. I'll get to it. Like that that yeah. sounds rehearsed, Brad. I'm not gonna lie. That oh sounds yeah, like I w- you. That sounds like something you've told someone else before me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I practiced it in the mirror this morning because I knew we were recording tonight, so I had to get my you know my speech straight. Okay, I yeah. don't know if like a, a a girlfriend or a mom or somebody was coming over. It's like it's okay, I'll get to it. It's like I'm not a hoarder. I swear, I'm not crazy. I'll kill anyone who says I am. Uh, so continuing with that thread of uh, recently acquired films, so movies that are officially in the backlog, but only at the very top of it. So like it, it's 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 at the top of the stack. I'm gonna get to it. I swear. Um, I have uh, Samurai Marathon. Um, this came out only a few weeks ago, as far as I know. Mm. Uh, this is a well-go USA release. Uh, they specialize in Asian films, just all of Asia. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> this is a interesting film in that it's a, I think it's based on a novel. Um, it has a really clever premise where it's a, 
It's apparently based on a marathon event held in Japan where the story is a fictional account of said marathon in feudal Japan. Um, so it's a bunch of ninja running through the woods doing doing like a marathon really uh, while while carrying weaponry and stuff and then uh an international incident occurs and they go to war <laughs> while they're oh, wow. running this marathon um so this is actually directed by a uh, a not a not a japanese director i actually don't know who did it but i'll have to check the back of the box here but holy shit i'm looking at the back here and philip glass did the music Oh, really? Okay. And this is directed by Bernard Rose, so a foreign director j- directing mostly Japanese cast. And yeah, Philip Glass did the fucking music. So the Chariots of Fire guy, or no, that was a... Was that him? No, that was Vangelis. Vangelis yeah, uh, did Chariots of Fire. Yeah, Philip Glass, he did... Didn't he do Truman Show? Um, trying to He's think known of... for his minimalist electronic yeah. scores. Yeah, um, and. Evangelist did Blade Runner, and if I remember right, they also did Chariots of Fire. That would have been too hilarious. Right? <laughs> He's like, "Oh, that movie with this the guys running." <laughs> so let's let's do the same movie with swords. He just loves <laughs> running movies. He loves to score people running. <laughs> so I actually don't even know if this is very good. Um, I haven't looked into it too much. I saw the original Japanese trailer when it was still being released uh, internationally uh, in theaters and like film festivals and whatnot. Um, but just the premise and the cast kind of jumped out at me. Um, Takeru Sato is a, he's a treasure, man. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen him in anything before, but, uh, look him up, maybe check out some of his stuff because, uh, he's a very versatile actor. I actually first saw him on a, a children's television show from Japan. Um, and the whole gimmick was that he would get possessed by these other characters. Uh, the show was called Kamen Rider Den-O. And he would get possessed by other characters on, like, on a very routine basis throughout each episode. And he had like five or six different personalities at, at one time. Um, and he would have to change his body language and his his voice and his mannerisms each and every time it happened. And sometimes yeah. he'd have to do it in like mid step. And I was just like, Jesus! Like people talk about Anne Hathaway doing her little turn in Dark Knight Rises. It's like, bitch, please. <laughs> like, okay, she she straightened up and she furrowed her brow i was like okay big fucking deal this guy turned into six people in one war <laughs> that's pretty impressive um, that's good yeah and uh he does a lot of uh anime slash manga adaptations to live action and he mm-hmm. shows up every single time and, uh, i'm always happy to see him so um like i said i don't even know if this is good oh apparently danny houston's in it so that's something. oh wow all maybe right maybe he'll uh Maybe he'll have his mouth hanging open like he like he <laughs> tends to do in almost every role he's in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I swear um, that's how he got the thirty days of night gig. He just, he just yeah. like hung hung his mouth open. They're like, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> he just he doesn't even man. need to show up uh, to an audition. He just needs to send in a picture of his mouth uh, just open, and he just gets it. That's 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 all they hire him for. <laughs> he, um, he's interesting. I don't know if he's good, but he's always interesting. I always like when he pops up in stuff. Uh, I feel like I don't see him in that much stuff anymore, but I'm always happy to see him show up in anything. Mm, I was very sad when uh, that the last of the Has Fallen movies, um, he showed up as the bad guy, and he, he has a little knife fight with Gerard Butler, and uh, it's not exactly a crowd-pleasing affair, although it is the the novelty of seeing Danny Houston as a military expert, <laughs> like, like yeah. a killing machine, is... Is definitely worth watching, I guess. <laughs> is that that's the last one you said? I I don't think I've seen that one yet. 
I think it's called Angel Has Fallen. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that one yet, but it's, now I'm more interested it's now. It's not great. It's not <laughs> great, but like I said, if you want to see Danny Houston play soldier for an afternoon and get in a knife fight with a Scotsman, you might get something out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I got to say, I love the premise of the Samurai Marathon. Uh, is that what it's, What was it called again? Was it Samurai Marathon? No, you, you got it. Okay, yeah. yeah I lo- that premise is great, and... Uh, Philip Glass score. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested. Yeah, that's a future episode I'd like to do with you, Brad. Is uh, spotlight composers because mm-hmm. I've, I've noticed on your show on the Cinema Speak podcast, um, you you do highlight composers here and there, and uh, yeah. that's something that's important to me too. So, um, we'll we'll do that sometime. Yeah, um, I love a good score. I love a good score. Makes all the difference in the world, man. I was just talking to my girlfriend the other day. That's like I know I know too many shitty movies that have wonderful scores that nobody sees because they're shitty movies. Yeah, don't <laughs> or you just rather hate nobody that. hears. Um, but that being said, Brad, uh, w- what else has you got in your backlog? All right. Um, let's see. So, uh, you know, uh, you guys just started a uh, segment on your show, catching up on cinema, anime, August. And I'm definitely, I wouldn't say I'm a poser when it comes to anime, because I don't try to, I'm definitely not an expert or anything. I don't even try to be. But I do have a few uh, films here that are in my backlog, and I keep buying them, even though I've never watched any of them yet. And they're the Studio uh, Ghibli films. Um, And I have Ponyo, which I've never seen. My Neighbor Totoro, which I've never seen. And... This is we're getting into the embarrassment here. Uh, Spirited Away, which I have not seen, even though uh, I hear nothing but amazing things. My friend Charlie, I think it was his like number two or three on his top 100 list. Um, and I just for whatever reason, just haven't gotten around to them. But, you know, you keep popping up at Best Buy and you see those things where they're, you know, 50 percent off. And you're like, I know I'm going to get into them eventually. So you just keep buying them even though uh, you haven't even watched one of them yet. So that's kind of why I have multiples of them. But I am very curious, and I feel like I would like these films quite a bit. Um, And I'm guessing they're probably pretty good, uh, you know, gateway drugs to getting into anime. They're, you know, pretty accessible, I would assume. (sighs) Uh, (laughs) I'm having a lot of thoughts here, Brad. (laughs) So... um, that's really cool, though. All three of those, as far as I understand, are excellent. Um, mm-hmm. I can't speak for Ponyo. Uh, Ponyo, I haven't seen. Um, yep. Totoro. Uh, my Neighbor Totoro is wonderful. Okay. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, I was very fortunate to uh, be taken to the theater. Taken. Not, <laughs> I didn't choose. I was essentially taken from my room <laughs> by my mother uh, because she wanted to get me some culture. God damn it. <laughs> she was like, hey, Half Japanese child. We're watching this Japanese product. And uh, she took me to like a neighborhood theater with like 15 seats in it or something. I, mm-hmm. I do not know where the fuck this thing was. It was just some random theater I've never been to again in my life. Uh, so I was very fortunate to see that in the theater and it really stuck with me. Um, I even like sent away for the mail order like stuffed Totoro doll that they had a promotion on the VHS tape that you could like mail a like proof of purchase <laughs> and, yeah. and get a stuffed animal. It was the blue Totoro. It was wonderful until I lost him <laughs> on a houseboat. But um, Totoro is excellent. Okay, uh, You should definitely watch that. It's, it's a good 
date night movie. Um, it I think it holds up regardless of what age you come at it from. Um, Spirited Away, I think, is regarded among like critical circles as being like objectively the the highest quality work of those three. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, the quality of animation is probably top top class. Although, when it comes to large scale animation projects like that, there's usually a gimmick involved. Um, like uh, first one that comes to mind for whatever fucking reason is uh, the Road to El Dorado. I guess they made use of a lot of water and gold in that movie just because they could, where they're like showing off, where they're like, hey, these things that are notoriously difficult to animate, we're going to do all of that. Yeah. That's the same with like Monsters Incorporated with the CGI for Sully with his fur and whatnot. That's usually the scariest fucking thing you could do in CGI. Um, And with Ponyo, I want to say like if you look at the way like just from trailers and clips and stuff I've seen, if you look at the way like the fish are rendered, there's like so many moving objects in a single shot that's like mind-boggling how the fuck did you do that (laughs) like (laughs) how many how many wrists developed carpal tunnel in the production of this film (laughs) but like spirited away kind of like ticks all the boxes it's a technical one like masterpiece um but i don't know what it is about it just doesn't resonate with me very well okay um the score is absolutely beautiful um anything your friend told you about it it probably highlighted all the things that i already have um totoro is my favorite of the three for sure um but one thing uh, about what you said about gateway drug i think that's dangerous to think of those films as that brad <laughs> okay really okay and I'll ex- let me explain why it's because anime is it's the business of cutting corners <laughs> 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 if 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 you can skip a step in japanese animation you will <laughs> yeah um studio ghibli doesn't do that um, they're like they're top of their class for a reason. It's because they they lovingly hand draw and hand paint all their cells, or at least they used to. I think they have a CGI film coming out very soon that that just made me furrow my brow in the nastiest of ways, where I was like, that goes against everything you represent. Oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> but when it comes to other Japanese animation productions, if you start with that and then you try to go back to the janky shit that I've been feeding Kyle these past few weeks, um, you're probably going to have a, a bad time. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> Where it's that's like, a fair wow, point. this looks like shit. <laughs> yeah, but I also feel like if you compare it to like the horror genre, I feel like a lot of horror fans, they start with the top tier and then, you know, you, you just you get bit by the bug and you get addicted and eventually you're watching Sleepaway Camp 3 because you can't get enough of it, you know? This is very true. Um, but it's it's like I say about video games and stuff. Like, I, I worry about the kids, Brad, because, like, <laughs> what, what can you imagine what it would be like playing, like, a PlayStation 5 as your very first console? Like, yeah. what the fuck would impress you after that? <laughs> yeah, I think... Like, like if, you, if you tried to play... A, original nes like an 8-bit mario game right after playing whatever the fuck is on the ps5 (laughs) i think your semblance of like what is real and what is fake will just be like out the window like like the the playstation 5 will be real to you when when you play madden on the playstation 5 you are in the nfl there's no question about it it's like wow there seems to be an epidemic of concussions among gamers these days (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's how it affects you. It's 4D. It affects your body. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, uh, that's really cool that you have those in your backlog. Uh, They're good things to have in your backlog for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but I don't know about gateway drug for anime. Because and maybe maybe like that's the wrong term. Maybe that's the wrong term. Yeah. M- most most other Japanese animated productions that you you view following a Ghibli production are going to seem like I don't know kid kid gloves or something where it's like yeah. hang on what the fuck it's like I've been fighting pro for the past two weeks <laughs> like what, what's this nonsense <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's kind of funny, the, the movies that are more geared towards kids are, are not the ones with uh, kid gloves in that analogy. Well, I mean, you got to make sure people actually see your movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to spend years, years working on a, a gorgeous work of moving art like that, uh, you got to make sure people fucking see it. Um, now, do you know, uh, out of these three, which was the first one to be released? Totoro. Totoro was okay. Then I probably, yeah. when I do end up popping on them, I probably will start with that then. So, yeah, Totoro, Spirited Away, Ponyo, that, okay. in that order. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'm and, excited to yeah. check them out. I mean, and if I'm not mistaken, I think all three are Hayao Miyazaki movies. Yeah, um, which yeah, I was again, just checking that out. Yeah, yeah, elevates those above most other mm-hmm. anime. Um, but I guess the balls to me, and I'll actually make this a very quick one because I don't have a whole lot to say. But just uh, in light of you sharing your Ghibli backlog, I may as well do mine. Hey, there we go. <laughs> so I have the saddest fucking film in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Grave of the Fireflies. Oh, yes, yes. I've heard of this one. Uh, I had to watch this shit in school. Um and I haven't watched it since. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> not not since I was like fourteen or fifteen years old. <laughs> um, this is one of those movies that like I bring up in conversation with my brother, and we just kind of shoot each other a look and just grumble because like that fucking movie. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, I got I picked this up pretty much right after it came out on Blu-ray. Uh, it's a Sentai Filmworks disc. Uh, as far as I know, they have a decent reputation for putting out anime releases. Mm-hmm. Uh, this film is rough. Um, it's it's about a little boy and a little girl uh, just trying to survive uh, during World War II in Japan. Um, it doesn't really feature any warfare or anything as far as I recall. It's just kind of a, a tale of the, the people caught in the crossfire kind of. And it is absolutely brutal. And yeah. uh, the heavy-handedness of the message actually almost gets silly towards the end. Um, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what the final shot is, but if you, if you understand the context of it, I, I could see how, if you, if you're a twisted individual like me, you, you would giggle a little bit where it's like, <laughs> it's like, okay, I guess we're doing that now. Um, but it's absolutely worth seeing despite it being utterly brutal, uh, and it pulls no punches. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, this is a Studio Ghibli production. It is not a Miyazaki film, though. Okay. Um, it is directed by Isao Takahata, uh, who I do not know. Um, I don't know his other films, and I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I do. Um, but yeah, uh, this is... Oh, wow, they put the Rotten Tomato meter on it. 96%, Brad. 96% of people think this is good, Brad. What are you doing with your 100. life? They couldn't get up to that 100. <laughs> um. This is definitely worth seeing for anyone, though. Yeah. Um, just just know that you're you're gonna have a bad time, but you might it, learn something. <laughs> it sounds like the kind of film, and I'm sure I've got some of these in my collection too. But the ones that like, you watch them, they're you know very incredibly well done, emotional. You know, it's like you go you go through something watching them. 
but like what you go through is so intense that even though you buy them on Blu-ray because they're such great films, you're like, who knows when or if I will ever put myself through this again. Um, I mean, uh, maybe the closest one I can think of off the top of my head in my collection would be like Requiem for a Dream. Um, but you, I haven't seen that either. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, Kyle teases me with that one a lot. He's like, yeah. what, what have you been doing with yourself? You need to subject yourself to that. <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an incredible movie, but it is, uh, yeah, it's like, you know, if you've got a birthday party the next day, probably want to stay away. Like, you're, you're going to need a day to recover from it. <laughs> <laughs> just show up all dour at a party yeah. or something. It's like, what's wrong, Trevor? It's like, oh, just watch Requiem for a Dream. And they're like, oh, man, well, go home. Get, I'll, I'll call you Cap. Like, yeah, yeah. Like... People will understand, yeah. <laughs> I just remember, I don't know why, probably because I was just like a sick jerk, but one time I'd seen Requiem for a Dream, and I, I did buy it on Blu-ray, and I have watched this Blu-ray since buying it um, because I was in college, and for some reason, I'm sure it had to be my idea, but I've got a group of friends. There was like six or seven of us, and we all watched Requiem for a Dream together. I don't know why. <laughs> wow, Brad, that is sick yeah. and twisted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Maybe me and my, my friends, idea, we used but... to we used to just watch the Sci-Fi Channel at three in the morning, and, and whatever crap they decided to serve up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe it wasn't my idea. Maybe somebody knew that I had it because now I'm thinking about it. I feel like I was like, "Are you sure you want to do this?" <laughs> I feel like mm-hmm. I kind of gave a big disclaimer. So, I'm going to choose to believe that you suggested it. It I makes it more fun did. that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Brad, what do you got next in your backlog? Mine was quick. Uh, this one might be quick too. Um, and I guess I should say all the ones I'm bringing up are ones that I just have not seen. Like, uh, I, there's obviously the Blu-rays in my collection that I've seen the movie, but have not watched the Blu-ray. And, uh, I mean, I'd have way more to choose for. It'd be, we'd be here all night. So these are all ones that I've just never seen. And this one, um, I'm curious to check out, but I know it's going to be really bad. But I'm curious to check it out because uh, it is made by what some people would say is one of the greatest filmmakers of our generation. It's a film directed by one Jimmy Cameron, James Cameron, his debut film, Piranha 2, The Spawny. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Which um, I remember when this was first announced on Blu-ray. This was had a kind of a tricky release uh, uh, history. It's a, a Scream Factory disc. And I, I can't remember the exact things. I mean, you can go on Blu-ray.com, search for Piranha 2, The Spawning. There's a huge, lots of drama unfolds in the thread on this one in the forums. But uh, it was originally going to be a collector's edition. And eventually they uh, came out and they said they had to scrap the release because of rights issues. I guess they thought they had the rights to it. And then there was some issue that came up. So they were like, oh, we're not going to be able to release it. Sorry. And it was a, it was a bummer. And then maybe a few months later, they made a statement and said, we're going to release Piranha 2 The Spawning. We did get the go-ahead, but it's not a collector's edition. There's not going to be many special features or anything. Um, But uh, I'm glad that it's on blue because I do want to check this out. I'm sure it's going to be bad. I'm sure it's going to be ridiculous. But, you know, when it's somebody like James Cameron, there's that curiosity there, especially with his debut film. And um, I do own the first Piranha, but I I have seen that one. I did watch that one. And it was was fun for what it was. Um, Didn't make me, like, 
super excited to check out the second one, even though I think they're quite different from one another. Um, Flying piranhas, Brad. Flying piranhas. Yeah, just based on the cover art. Flying piranhas! Not not that the first one was a a realistic uh, portrayal of piranhas at a, a beach or anything like that, but I think this one, you know, cranks it up to 11. Yeah, I mean, the first one probably only really resonates with people who have, like, a, a fetish for tubing. Like, yeah. <laughs> like watch it, watching heavyset people in the 70s tube and get yeah. bit by fish. It's like, if that if that gets you off, then that's the movie for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, as a uh, as a trivia factoid, that's always been a movie I've kept in my back pocket is Piranha 2 The Spawning, first film directed by one Jim Cameron. Yeah. Um, I actually haven't seen it, though. Uh, that's one that I'd like to see myself. Um, let me ask you this, Brad. Uh, do you... Do you suspect that the the whole fiasco uh, with the with the rights management and whatnot? Do you suspect that that could be like a Howard the Duck type situation where maybe somebody that's not particularly proud of it wants to bury it? <laughs> I think there's got to be some element of that. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm curious to know like the specifics with them. You know, being confident enough that they had the rights to make a formal announcement, only to pull it back. Like I I don't know if it's james cameron himself that is trying to bury this or i I don't know i feel like he is kind of so far removed from it he's like all right if these this scream factory wants to put it out on blu-ray i'm not gonna worry about it but um yeah i do think there's something probably pertaining to the level of quality for was a reason why it took so long to get a release and why there was so many so many issues with it um you know, yeah, there, the, there's the, something in here people don't want me to see. I got, I got to get this off my backlog. I got to see what's going on here. <laughs> I got to see what's up with these flying fucking fish. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like the Piranha movies, it's just kind of interesting. Like, you know, these like cheap Jaws ripoffs. The fact that James Cameron directed number two, uh, who he's you know a huge filmmaker, and then you know not to be outdone, Joe Dante is a pretty you know, respectable genre filmmaker in his own right. And the fact that he made the first one is uh, pretty interesting. So I'm, I'm definitely glad that I own both of those just more out of, you know, curiosities for what careers were to come. Well, I mean, I'm really glad you got into this, Brad, because this, this, this is the kind of shit that gets my brain working. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just watched, rewatched uh, Orca the other day. Mm, um, I picked mm-hmm. that up on a, a Scream Factory disc. Yeah. Uh, mm. HD Orca, still a shit film, but at least it looks nice now. <laughs> uh, I happen to like it, though. I have a soft spot for it. In fact, um, what I said earlier about uh, shitty films with lovely scores, that's maybe the prototypical example in my mind. Uh, really? Ennio Morricone did the music. Oh, um, okay. And yes, holy yeah. shit, it is some of the most haunting and beautiful music you will ever hear in your life. Yeah? Like, nice. In a movie or outside of. Just, just music in general. Um, I love mm-hmm. the score for Orca. It's a shit film, <laughs> um, but I think uh, I think what's really interesting about all the Jaws knockoffs is, um, yes, it was a big thing. It was, there was a big market for uh, sea monster movies and Jaws knockoffs, essentially. And so you have this situation where you have all these directors, mostly foreign. A lot of Ital- a lot of Italian cinema in the seventies was they had the Giallo thing going, but then they also had like the Jaws knockoffs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Dino De Laurentiis was pretty obsessed with Jaws, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. but um, 
Uh, what I think is fascinating about what you said, though, about Joe Dante and Jim Cameron is that both of those directors are guys who they're kind of like Robert Zemeckis and that not only are they pretty good directors, although Zemeckis has his pitfalls here and there, all, all three of those guys um, are very good with effects work. They're very mm-hmm. good at managing and highlighting effects work while telling a strong story. And I think that requires a particular skill set. So I want to say that's why you got all those guys getting those gigs early in their career where they showed promise in the effects side of the business. And that's like, oh, hey, can how are you with people? Can you direct actors? It's <laughs> like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> because yeah. if I remember right, that's where Jim Cameron got his start was, was mm-hmm. doing effects work. Um, and then he became a director. And I would not be surprised at all if Joe Dante was the same way. Um, yeah. And, you know, everybody everybody has a first film. May as well be Piranha 2, The Spawning. Um, in fact, uh, out of curiosity and boredom, just the other day I started plowing through the Kickboxer sequels. Okay. Um, so I own Bloodsport 1 through 4, mm-hmm. and I own the Kickboxer uh, revival movies from the late 2010s, um, but I've never actually seen the straight-to-video Kickboxer 2 through 4. Well, five. They made five. Holy shit. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, but uh, out of curiosity, I, I looked up Kickboxer 2, and I was like, David S. Goyer wrote this? The oh, Dark wow. Knight Man wrote yeah. this? <laughs> uh, that was his first working gig as a writer. Yeah. And I was like, so hang on. Th- what? <laughs> and it was terrible. <laughs> but it, but I saw in the opening credits, it said David S. Goyer. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, I guess I guess uh, we we have a lot of firsts um, in our backlog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody starts somewhere, you know. It's it's where you end up. It's not where you begin. That's that's the important thing. Absolutely, it's very important, man. Um, but let's see what I got here. Um, let's keep it simple. Uh, so this is a movie that, in confessing that I've had it on my shelf for close to two or three years and haven't watched it it's probably going to land me in hot water with some people oh who don't who don't listen to the show of uh, people in my family uh i have jcvd um this would be the jean-claude van damme uh meta film uh, so as far as i know this is shot like a a documentary style like it's shot verite and it takes place during like a bank heist that Jean-Claude Van Damme just happens to be on site for. Mm-hmm. But he's playing Jean-Claude Van Damme. He's not like action hero Van Damme, and yet he somehow becomes action hero Van Damme over the course of the movie. Yeah. And apparently there's like lots of vignettes cutting away from, from the linear timeline and whatnot. I've seen the opening like one-take action scene that begins the film. That was pretty fucking amazing, especially at this point in his, his life. Um, I believe this is from the late 2000s. Uh, this is uh, also shot in French, which I think I think there's definite novelty there because I've mm-hmm. seen him I've seen him speak French in other films, and he definitely he's always charming. I find him very charming. Van Damme yeah. is endlessly charming, um, but in in his native tongue, he's definitely even more so. Um, and I've heard just nothing but good things about this film as a film, not just as a Van Damme film. Mm-hmm. Um, and for whatever reason, I bought this. Uh, it still has the price sticker on it for five ninety nine. <laughs> good price. Good deal. For good deal. Um, but I just have not put it in my Blu-ray player for like three years now. It's embarrassing. Yeah, 
Well, that's that's one that I, <laughs> that I uh, haven't seen either. But I remember when it came out, I was uh, pretty interested in it, just more for the like kind of meta elements of him playing himself. Um, but I've kind of I t- kind of forgot that movie even existed until you brought it up. So that's that's definitely one I'm I'm curious to uh, check out at some point. Yeah, uh, it's it's one that now that I have taken it off the shelf and you know stared at it and showed it to you, like it, it's got me thinking. Maybe maybe I should leave that off the shelf and just like leave it on the table. Maybe that'll maybe that'll force my hand and like make me just want to get it out of my hair and just get it out of the way. Yeah. Yeah, um, and yeah, plus yeah. it's perfect timing. I've been watching these shitty kickboxer sequels that he's <laughs> that he is not in, <laughs> so yeah. maybe I'll be I'll be longing for him and be like, God damn it, Van Damme! Like even in the two thousands, you do it better than this Sasha Mitchell guy. Yeah, it's gonna feel like a breath of fresh air once uh, once you see him on screen. It'll it'll feel great. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm looking forward to it actually because I, I really have heard nothing but good things about it, and mm-hmm. I, I do have a member of the family who probably will think less of me once they learn that i haven't actually seen it <laughs> i've oh, kind really? of been okay. tiptoeing around that when i've been talking yeah. to them they're, they're a big now. fan oh big fan <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 uh that being said brad uh balls to you what do you got um okay i've got a i've got a big one here let's just get, let's just get this one out of the way this is uh <laughs> i've got a big pile right here i don't know if you can kind of see Ooh, these like a yeah, band-aid are, right uh, off <laughs> So these are, you know, uh, the Criterion Collection. I'm sure we've mentioned this in this series at some point. They do their 50% off Barnes & Noble sale twice a year. And I always uh, pick up some Criterions in that sale. And for the last few times, I've been going through and buying films from certain directors because I'm sure by now you know that's kind of something I like to do is kind of go through a director's filmography, like, watch multiple films from a director in a month or something or whatever just because you can kind of see them grow and change and all that so i've kind of been going through and you know i'll buy one film from this director in each sale and they add up and because uh i only buy one in each sale they just end up sitting on my shelf until i've got all the criterions from that director because i'm like well i guess i'll i'll wait until i have them all to watch any of them which doesn't make a lot of sense but hey that's that's how it goes i guess so um, the directors in question are, let me see if I've got them all here. Uh, first one, Charlie Chaplin, who uh, I have here, The Circus, The Kid, and The Gold Rush, which this one I just purchased in the last sale. So this one's no, no embarrassment on The Gold Rush, no embarrassment there. Um, so I have not seen any of those. I do have City Lights, which is actually one that I've seen. Uh, another director, which uh, I have some of his films that I have not seen, is uh, Terrence Malick. I uh, I like to think of myself as a Terrence Malick fan, but he's got a, he's got some blind spots for me. Uh, I've got Badlands, Days of Heaven, The New World, and I actually think I have The Thin Red Line as well. I forgot to grab that one. And then finally, uh, I have one of the great directors of all time who I have only seen two of his films. It is Akira Kurosawa, who I have Throne of Blood, which is uh, the Macbeth adaptation, High and Low, and The Hidden Fortress. Um, I do have Seven Samurai of his, which I've seen, and Rashomon, which I've seen. Um, 
So, yeah, I keep buying films from these directors, and, uh, you know, even though I only get one from each director every six months, uh, they just somehow keep piling up. And every time there's a sale, I think, okay, I know I'm going to buy another Charlie Chaplin movie. I should at least watch one of the other ones that I have before buying a new one. But uh, sometimes it doesn't work out like that. Uh, but uh, all those films I, I really want to check out. The, the Terrence Malick ones, I feel like I have a bit of an excuse because most of them are incredibly long. So it's tough to carve out a, a, a night to watch a three-hour Terrence Malick movie. And since it is Terrence Malick, you know, it's not going to be like just a, you know, it's not going to be watching a Jim Carrey movie or something. It's going to be like, you know, it's a, it's a watch. You got it's you got to be prepared for it. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a long sit. Um, yeah, yeah. And from what I know about him, like his reputation, I actually haven't seen one of his films. Uh, I only know him by reputation. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, what I what I know of him is that his movies aren't the most approachable. Uh, yes, they do tend to be long in the tooth, but uh, he he has an audience for sure. Um, oh yeah, there's a reason his name carries weight. And uh, the New World actually is one that, for whatever reason, I kind of dog-eared a long time ago is something I actually would like to check out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I need to go and watch some of these because I've seen almost all of his recent films, everything post-Tree of Life, except I think his last film I haven't seen. But I, I, the Tree of Life I absolutely love. So for some reason I've just never gone back past that. And I actually think, um, from what I understand, those films are a little more... Uh, I don't want to say ordinary, but, you know, they actually have a narrative. They're a little more, maybe a little more approachable than something like Tree of Life or some of his more recent stuff, which is very abstract and, uh, you know, something I'm not going to have. I'm not going to invite the boys over and crack open some beers and watch the Tree of Life. But maybe uh, maybe the the New World, maybe we'd have some beers and crack open and watch that one. Maybe. I don't know. Picturing a watch party where Brad sits down all his friends and he has a, a row of rain energy drinks set out on the <laughs> coffee table. <laughs> He's like, "All right, boys, get hype." I, <laughs> then I just five love hours later with my movie selections, I just I love torturing people. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it, at least you have like uh, kind of highbrow taste in film, Brad. At least you can fall back on that. Where it's like you're you're. You're protecting people because you know that it's like, you know, if you're looking for entertainment, it's like this is this is probably not what you're looking for. Yeah. Whereas me, it's just like, no, I, I genuinely thrive in crap. And I, it's like, no, I can't I can't subject you to this. You're not you're not ready. Your brain isn't ready for this. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, what would you like to watch, Trevor? It's like, uh, whatever you want. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. You don't want to know what I want to watch. It's like kickboxer <laughs> four. <laughs> At least you're nice enough not to force it on people. Oh no, no, not not unless they they ask like ten times and like yeah. wear me down. But um, Charlie Chaplin uh, was he's actually someone that I haven't seen any of his films. Uh, I've mm-hmm. only seen clips and I think a documentary way back when. But that is a fella I'd like to see more of. Um, yeah, because I I feel like that's like that really fascinating era in film where. It's almost like perfect for me where it's, you know, it's kind of silent era where it's really fascinating to me that the the earliest days of cinema were were the most popcorn days of cinema where it's like, Mm -hmm. no, like you're watching a fucking moving magic trick. 
Like, yeah. this isn't high art. This <laughs> is like, no, we're, we're here to thrill people just with the novelty of the technology. So, like, all this bitching and moaning about it, it was like, oh, exhausting CGI and whatnot. It's like, what do you think the great train robbery was? <laughs> it's like, it's just one yeah, big exactly. special effect. And mm-hmm. same with silent stuff, where it's like Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin. They were the Jackie Chans of their day, where they're, yeah. they're thrilling you with, with their physicality, with their agility on, on film. And... It feels like a perfect fit for me, but it's just something that, for whatever reason, I haven't really taken a deep dive into. But mm-hmm. I, I really should, though, because everything I just said, like, it speaks to the things that I like today in movies. Yeah. I mean, the thing I, I was uh, watching City Lights, which is the one film of his that I own that I've seen, uh, is uh, how, how just it still is uh, very funny. Like, it really holds up and it's very watchable. And, uh, like, yeah, watching. Charlie Chaplin films, you can see how him and I'm sure Buster Keaton, Harold Lloyd was a big influence on Jackie Chan, um, which I didn't really realize until I started watching these older Jackie Chan films. And I'm like, oh, for sure he was influenced by these early silent stars. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially like his, his stuff in like the 80s. Um, mm-hmm. he's, he actually makes explicit reference to gags from those older films. Like, yeah. There's a famous clock tower gag that I think was taken lifted directly from a buster keaton film i forget which one but it's like you know i i don't frown upon that that's just you know what what everyone does like even when they're at the top of their game it's like no we we all we're all inspired by somebody we all start somewhere and we all are inspired by others yeah um but uh speaking of buster keaton i think the only movie of his i've seen front to back was the general yeah i've seen that that, one that was great like that is it is really good Yeah. yeah it's so good um, does Michael Mann have anything in the Criterion Collection? Because I know you've been talking about him lately on your Cinema Speak podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a big, I'm a big fan, man. Um, I think the only thing in the Criterion Collection of his is Thief. I think that's the only one. Which I, I love Thief. Uh, might be my favorite of his. I'd say either that or Manhunter are my two favorites of his. But uh, yeah, Thief is in the Criterion Collection, and uh, it's definitely worth checking out. It's a great one. Gotcha. Um, did he do the Insider? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That one feels like that could have been a Criterion release, but I think it's owned by I think it's a Buena Vista film, so I think it's owned by Disney. Oh so, fuck! <laughs> You're yeah, not getting have, that back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that one, I just had to settle for regular Blu-ray on that one. Gotcha. That one, that and Thief are are the two of his films that i really need to check out because i for the most part i really like him um his mm-hmm. uh his digital era it's a little hit and miss um i i didn't bother with black hat because just everything about it stunk of like this is a half-hearted effort and uh yeah i think you you brought up miami vice uh the other day on on the cinema speak podcast <laughs> so <laughs> thank <laughs> I'm you trying to help you out you. brad <laughs> <laughs> um and that one too i just it didn't click with me um i really like collateral collateral's Um, good yeah public enemies really kind of irritated me to be honest um i thought that was a very poor choice um shooting that on digital where it's like it's a fucking period film what (laughs) what are you doing (laughs) um something about that movie just didn't come together for me even though it's like on paper if you take the bullet points of it it's so similar to other films of his filmography but it just didn't work as well as those so it's like oh i'll just go watch heat or manhunter mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah yeah um but yeah uh, uh the insider is 
I was kind of surprised. I did a little research into it. It's like apparently his most critically acclaimed film. Yeah, the only time he's... I would not have guessed that. Yeah, the only film of his that's been like Oscar nominated for best director or best picture, which I, I mean, I'm kind of surprised, but at the same time, it's like if you look at his films, that one is certainly the one that screams the most like Oscar potential. It's, um, it's political, and yeah. you know Russell Russell Crowe was kind of a big deal at the time. <laughs> so, oh yeah, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that and and Thief both, um, I really would like to check out sometime. Yeah, uh, yeah, especially now that you've brought it up multiple times, it's like mm-hmm. Brad seems to think it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good. It is good. And unlike me, Brad tends to like things that aren't total crap. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like a lot of crap too. Don't don't get me wrong. There's a lot of crap in my collection. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure. But, um, well. What what do you want, Brad? Do you want box sets or do you want me to follow follow up your criterion with some of my criterion? Uh, I'm kind of curious uh, your, of your criterions. I feel like I don't know what uh, which ones you have, so let's go with that. Okay. Well, uh, unfortunately, it's not plural uh, as yours was. Um, I only have one, uh, and it is Tampopo. Mm. It's mm-hmm. a Japanese film directed by Juzo Itami. Uh, this is the ramen film. Uh, if you like food, if you are a foodie, uh, this is the movie for you. Um, I saw this film in school. Uh, this was apparently a big deal internationally. Like I remember my parents telling me, that, like, yeah, it made a splash in the states, and like it made ramen fans out of everybody <laughs> because really? it, okay. it, it really glamorizes the subject, and uh, there's a lot of luscious photography. And uh, this movie has a wonderful quirky sense of humor to it it's just a really great movie it has a lot to offer a lot of great characters um and kind of covers the whole emotional spectrum and uh this director has an affinity for like procedure uh, not just like procedure roles but like just um the intricacies of procedure like a, a taking a process from beginning to end and showing like in detail um laying it out to the viewer and really letting them drink it all in mm-hmm. um and this is about making noodle soup <laughs> and it's it's really a great film I'm, I'm probably not doing the best job of selling it but uh like like you said brad you, you have justifications as as to why you haven't watched all your, all your films um my, i have a justification for this one <laughs> all right all right um i i bought this film um but i haven't watched it uh intentionally because uh, my girlfriend is a foodie she is one hell of a cook um mm. and this is the kind of movie that i uh, I'd like her to see. Um, and I just haven't found the right opportunity to sit down and watch it with her. Yeah. Uh, so I haven't seen this film since I was like 19 or something. Um, so I'm in no hurry to revisit it. But uh, whenever the time arises, I, I'm glad I have it on hand. Uh, so this is one that I happily keep in my backlog for the day that uh, my girlfriend is, you know, in the mood to watch a movie about noodles. <laughs> <laughs> Now, um, the director, has that director done anything else that's made a big splash internationally, or? Um, I could be wrong. Um, this could be me uh, citing the wrong person. Uh, so, for folks who care, uh, sorry. Um, I think he did the uh, the films uh, A Taxing Woman. I want to say that was him, which okay. shares a couple of actors, which is why I suspect it's him, because it's also about... It's about tax auditing. 
It's about fucking tax auditing, and it's very utterly, exciting. It's utterly enthralling. <laughs> <laughs> he made two movies about tax auditing, and I can't speak for the second one, but I seem to recall the first one did pretty well. Um, and he may have also done a film about funeral services as well. Um, but a taxing woman, I want to say, was him as well. And yeah, as as far as I recall, that one did pretty well internationally as well. Um, anyway, uh, that's my criterion, Brad. Um, what 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 else you got? Um, well, let's go uh, from high class criterions into. Uh, I'll show you. I got some trashy stuff in here. Um, and it's another big pile. It's another big pile. I'm, I think I've talked about these Blu-rays on the show before. These are my Vestron Video Collectors Series Blu-rays which are um, a bunch of horror films, uh, usually from the 80s, kind of some from the 90s and stuff. Um, and they're all pretty pretty schlocky, pretty low budget. But, uh, you know, when they were first released, it's like, oh, here's a new label that's releasing these Blu-rays, horror films, which I love, with slipcovers. The spines are numbered. It's the perfect opportunity for me to get in on the ground floor of these. And so I bought every single one, even on some of these films, which I... Gotta be honest, I probably have zero interest in, but, you know, if I'm gonna have 17 of these on my shelves, I can't just skip out on number five. I I gotta pick it all up. So, these are the ones that I have not seen. We have number three. I've seen the first two. I've seen the first two numbered ones. Number three is the Waxwork Collection, which I actually hear uh, the first one's quite good. And this one is worth noting. I think it's the only Vestron with a clear case. So, is that the one with Zach Galligan? I believe it. I believe it is. Yes. Hey, uh, Zach Gallagher. Yeah, <laughs> yep. That's so. literally the only thing I know about that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this, I actually think, uh, Waxwork might be one that would be worth checking out because I hear it's actually a pretty solid horror film. Um, number four, this one uh, is Return of the Living Dead Three. Uh, I've seen the first Return of the Living Dead. Have not seen the second one. I do own the second one. Um, but once I watch the second one, I'll check this one out as well. I, I saw that uh, very late night on Sci-Fi Channel again yeah? with my friends. Yeah, <laughs> is it uh, worth checking out? Is it fun? Uh, if I remember right, the male lead is the bad guy from Pumpkinhead Two. Um, okay, he he has the he has the Ed Ed Furlong John Ca- Connor hair the that yeah. middle part that every white kid in the nineties had. Um, I think he even has a vest. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, actually, um, it is pretty good um they definitely didn't have as much money to work with as they did in the first and second um but yeah it's a it's a fun one it has a nice spin on the the zombie tale in that it's it's one of the earlier ones where it deals with uh what happens if someone you love gets bit Mm -hmm. Um, yeah that's you know well well trodden ground at this point but uh back back then it was kind of novel yeah well speaking of Pumpkinhead too let's just throw it out there another backlog of mine Pumpkinhead 2 blood wings gotta check hey that i one just out. watched pumpkin head one like three days ago <laughs> that's right i remember you talking about that uh i'm yeah, kind of pissed of i'm kind of pissed because they they finally came through scream factory finally came through and got me the discs i ordered and they yeah. both kind of sucked <laughs> <laughs> like i got them like three months after the fact and i was like fuck i should have canceled that especially in light of the the new 4k scan of pumpkin head coming out oh yeah yeah very right. soon like in october or something so it's like fuck now i have this raggedy pumpkin head on my shelf <laughs> you have to find Just the like worst a, timing 
We have to find like a, I don't know, a cousin or something to ship it to. Just be like, you take the shit. <laughs> 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 I'm going to upgrade the shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can pawn it off on somebody. It's, you know, you can convince somebody to watch Pumpkinhead. Um, next Vesteron, this is probably what I hear is the worst of the worst in their collection. The only reason I have this one is to complete the collection. It's number five, Chud 2, Bud the Chud. Um, I have not seen the first Chud, although I, I'm curious. That one actually here is not it worth checking out. This one, all I've heard is bad things about it. I, I don't even want to look at it. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts has a wonderful episode on Bud the Chud. Um, and oh, also, yeah. um, I believe my, my co-host Kyle has one of the best reviews for Chud. Uh, it's not published anywhere, but uh, his Kyle's review for Chud is Daniel Stern Sweats. <laughs> that is all <laughs> daniel stern is sweaty the movie <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> that's the movie daniel stern is sweaty and then a thing gets his head cut off towards the end that's the movie well <laughs> sign me up that i'm in that's that's all <laughs> i need to hear um uh, next one is uh oh what's the director who did this one uh ken russell ken russell directed this one number six in the vestron collection it's lair of the white worm which um, I think is a little, uh, you know, it's, I don't want to say it's any better than any of these other films, but uh, Ken Russell is a little bit more of a respected director, so it's a bit of an outlier, although I think there is another Ken Russell film coming up here. Uh, Number eight, though, is uh, The Gate, which I've heard is a fun little horror film. I think it's a Canadian film. Yeah, Um, it is. Uh, I actually recommended that one to Kyle around the first, like, when we we're st- starting to get to know each other, and uh, oh yeah, I, love th- I really like that movie because it, like the the perspective they tell the story from. It really feels mm-hmm. like if I had seen it when I was a little kid, it would have been like my favorite movie, just because yeah. it does a lot of things that like are scary to little kids. Like to an adult, it's just like okay, whatever. But in addition to that, you get well. I mean, the novelty of Baby Stephen Dorff is not something to be scoffed at. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's like a just a parade of special effects. It's yeah. like the, it's like Lord of the Rings, like a, a Peter Jackson production, in that they uh, they kind of trot out every trick in the book um, mm-hmm. on a very tight budget. But yeah, I've heard I, it's I a like lot it. of fun. Yeah, I like it. Uh, I think the sequel's okay. Um, but I don't. I don't think Kyle cared for it very much. <laughs> oh yeah, that tends to be yeah. the case when I recommend things to him. But <laughs> I, I feel like if you come at it from the perspective of like try to try to imagine yourself as a child watching this, like I, mm-hmm. I feel like that helps a lot. Yeah, I would say out of the Vesterons I have, I would probably say that and Waxwork are probably the two that I most want to check out. I've heard good things about both those. Um, next one. I don't really know anything about this one. I got, uh, it's number 10, The Unholy. Um, yeah, I, the only thing I know about is it's in the Vesteron collection. That's why I bought it. I, I'm shocked, actually. I, I obviously am familiar with all the other ones, but yeah, I don't know that one. Yeah. Uh, next one is another collection. We've got three films in this one. It is uh, the Warlock collection. Oh, with, uh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Julian with, Sands. Um, yeah, Julian Sands, uh, who I, I like him a lot. So um curious to check it out more just for him than anything. It, honestly, like the premise of the movie it doesn't really sound too much up my alley, but um I like him, and uh, it's in the Vestron collection, so that's all he had to do to make the sale on me. 
I think that's like literally one of the only big movies he he really did. Like I think directors like him because he has a look and he has that way of speaking. He has that like lilty tone to him. Um, but in terms of like big, like big budget, like prestige films, he doesn't have much. <laughs> like, yeah. He popped up in something recently and I was like, oh yeah, it's great to see him. And I was like, he's great. He's been in so many great things. And I'm like looking back and I'm like, he's really not. I just, <laughs> you know, I just think he's great. Cause I, every time he shows up, he's got just such a great presence that I'm surprised he's not in more stuff, you know? Well, speaking of Jackie Chan, he's the villain in the medallion, so you get to see his stunt double throw down with Jackie Chan at the end of that one if you're interested. <laughs> there you go. Slightly interested. I'm slightly interested. I I tend to do that with you, Brad. I tend to like give you sideways like recommendations for shit films. <laughs> yeah, but you always recommend them in a way where I'm like, actually I do wanna check that out. I I'm quite curious about that <laughs> yeah let, let me know how warlock is because that's actually one of those movies i dog-eared like back in back in the day because uh, the mm-hmm. cover the cover for the first film um was ubiquitous at our uh, grocery store uh like video rental outlet um the the tape was always front and center you, it was everywhere um, yeah and it, it just that cover art like me and my brother have like this project we might want to take on at some point like revisiting old VHS cover art and actually tracking those films down and watching them. Um, and Warlock is definitely one on that list where I know shit shit all about that film. I know nothing about Warlock other than the Super Nintendo game apparently really sucks. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know there was a game. <laughs> well, we had we had a game magazine subscriptions and I read the reviews and apparently it sucks. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, let me know how that one is uh, whenever you get to it. Yeah, I mean, speaking of VHS, that's another reason I love these Vestron films is because they are kind of from that VHS era and a lot of them have the original VHS cover art and it just takes me back, you know, just... Going into the video store, I'd go to the horror section and just try, like, look at these schlocky movies and try and convince my mom to let me go home with one. And usually was unsuccessful, but every once in a while, you could, you know, if I really, if I really tried my hardest, I could uh, present a, a good case why we should rent something like uh, Lair of the White Worm. I don't know. <laughs> but. <laughs> The next one, uh, I know you guys have actually brought this up. I believe it was on your Bride of Frankenstein episode. This is the other Ken Russell film. It's Gothic, um, the film about uh, Mary Shelley and uh, all her pals when they came up with the sort of uh, original monster, Frankenstein monster idea. And uh, You might honestly know more about it than I do because I'm just trying to remember what it's about (laughs) i you're you're right it's about like supposedly there was an actual meeting between well i think it's actual fact that uh mary shelley and uh, i think it was lord byron and maybe one other person like uh were hanging out one evening and uh supposedly swapping like horror stories amongst each other was what gave way to them writing their respective gothic horror novels yeah um so it's a fictionalized account of that night where like like all the all the lights in the building get blown out it's a stormy night uh it's a ken russell film so i'm sure they get to fucking <laughs> and uh yeah they dream up some scary shit and they probably do drugs too because again ken russell film yeah <laughs> uh, i've only seen altered states and uh i want to see gothic um mm-hmm. but there there was a uh 
there was a chunk of my life in like my college years where I was really into Cronenberg and I kind of segued into Ken Russell at one point where I was like, hmm, what's this guy into? And I was like, Altered States, what's that? And I was like, oh, that's the movie where William Hurt turns into a monkey and other <laughs> things. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely got to check out I didn't out think it was a work of art, even though some people really do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know much about Ken Russell's films, so I got to check out some of them. Uh, this one also, uh, Julian Sands is in Gothic as well. So there you go. He's he's well represented in the Vestron collection. He must own stock in the company. It's a conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be surprised. It's like um, co- co-produced by the Sands Foundation. <laughs> uh, the next one is number 14 in the collection. It is Class of 1999. Uh, is this a sequel to Class of 1984? I don't even know. I I truly, I don't uh, even know. <laughs> I know I know. there's more than one Class of movie. Um, okay. I want to say you're right. I just don't know what the dates are. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I think I know of that movie based on like a YouTube review I saw way back when. But other than that, it's not known to me. Cool bitch and cover art though. Yeah, I, I put that one uh, kind of on the lower end of ones that I will get around to watching. Um, that that might one... be a, a rain energy drink evening kind of movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. or it might be one where I have to I invite some friends over and force them to watch it, knowing that they're probably going to hate it. Um, <laughs> the next one, uh, number fifteen, is Beyond Reanimator. Um, I do like the first Reanimator. I've never seen. I think is it Bride of Reanimator the second. Never seen that one, so I haven't gotten around to this one. Once I do check out Bride of Reanimator, I'm sure I will watch this one eventually. But uh, I do like the first one, so this is one I probably will get around to at some point. Yeah. Do you know if uh, Stuart Gordon was involved in that one? Um, that's a good question. I don't think he was. Because obviously uh, Jeffrey Combs came back, but Stuart Gordon's the real uh, key to that that particular quandary (laughs) yeah it's directed by brian usna who he had something to do with the first one right did he write it or i get the two of them mixed up actually uh because they are they're in in each other's business so often (laughs) it's like i i misattribute things to each of them so uh, i could be in the wrong actually as to who did what i know i'm pretty sure Stuart gordon did reanimator i'm i i could be wrong but brian usna he did uh, Society, which I That's watched right. recently, and I I like that quite a bit. So yeah, this is one I gotta gotta get around to checking out Bride of Reanimator and check this one out. Yeah, uh, I don't know if uh, I don't know if Bride of Reanimator is considered superior uh, to the original, as was the case with Bride of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised because like one of the very few complaints I've heard about the first Reanimator is um, related to the budget. Where it's like yeah. some of the effects work was overly ambitious. Where it's like you know, nice try, but you know, couple couple more bucks here and there maybe would have you know roughed out some of those edges. Yeah. Speaking of roughed out some of those edges, uh, this is the first time I've pulled Beyond Reanimator off the shelf since I bought it, and I just noticed that the slipcover is like all dented up. So looks like I won't be getting any sleep tonight. Now I got to worry nope. about that. I was um, about to say there there goes Brad's mood. Um, but then the last Vesteron I have that I have not watched uh, these obviously aren't all of them but the last one that I haven't watched is H.P. Lovecraft's Dagon oh Um, nice which I I do want to check this one out Uh, I think it's you know very low budget from what I understand and uh, 
You might want to check edges, if, if that's also a Brian Usna film. Um, you no. This one is Stuart Gordon. This one's Stuart. Oh, see Gordon. that that's the shit I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, I yeah. Dag- Dagon is a it's a it's a fun one. I uh, mm-hmm. they obviously with Reanimator and whatnot and from beyond they those fellas they they like their Lovecraft and Dagon is very explicitly a Lovecraftian story. Yeah, um, it deals with the the Innsmouth folks, so you get lots of fish people animatronics and whatnot and makeup effects. It's a Spanish co-production, so you get a lot of weird accents as well. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, where are you from? <laughs> it's like, I don't know. That that's approximate. That's an approximation of English, but um, yeah, it, it's a it's a fun one. I, I think I saw it on TV um, around the same time that I saw uh, uh, the Necronomicon uh, anthology, uh, which okay. I, Again, it's either Stuart Gordon or Brian Usna. It's one of the two. Yeah, and uh, it's it's a it's a fun little uh, anthology horror film series. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, if you're into all the other movies that you've just brought up, uh, definitely put that on your list. It's a fun one. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I got I got to check that out. Um, yeah, I like their stuff. All the stuff oh! I've seen from the two of them. Is, Brett, uh... Brett, Brett, Julian Sands is in it. Oh, I just I just remembered Julian Sands is in Necronomicon. <laughs> this guy's everywhere. <laughs> he's everywhere. Just just when we're talking shit, he's like, "Oh, you're gonna talk some shit." Well, I'm gonna be in everything now. <laughs> oh man, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he's in something, I, there's like probably a five percent boost in my chance to watch it. You know, it's not a ton, but it's a bit of a boost. So, <laughs> so he's the guy that you you see him at the convention, and it's like he's he's like handing out autographs, and he's like, "Would you like to shake my hand?" And it's like, "No, I'm good." <laughs> it's like, "Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh no." <laughs> yeah. Well, that was all of my uh, all of my unwatched Vestrons until uh, their two new releases come out um, later this year. Um, they're adding two more to the collection, but yeah. So. That, sorry for taking the floor so long there. That was quite a few, and that just shows uh, how much money I've wasted on these uh, stupid movies. So there you go. Yeah, folks, we we promised you depression up front, and uh, you got it. We got we got <laughs> we got bent slip covers and uh, he- <laughs> heaping mounds of of unwatched films. <laughs> it's yeah, like it's rough. It's rough. Yeah, it's it's rough. But um, I'll I'll throw it right back at you, Brad. So watch okay. out. Uh, I don't have quite as many. Uh, that I'm going to go over right now, but um, I have gone on record several times on this show uh, saying that I tend to have issues with series, um, like films or, or TV shows and stuff like that, um, told in like a series format. I have some sort of psychological barrier that <laughs> prevents me from like diving in and enjoying them yeah. because all, all I see is the episode count and it just makes me sigh. And, and get really tired and exhausted where it's just like I don't even want to open that box because the second I do that means I have to like commit to watching it and like a one and a half hour movie sounds so much more palatable than like a 25 episode TV series it's like fuck mm-hmm. what so for the next month what do I get to do I get to watch something that I may or may not like that's a gamble I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a risk averse person Brad <laughs> there's a reason I have a lot of indoor hobbies <laughs> but uh, so what I'm going to go over right now is uh, all of the series, like TV series type things, um, box sets and whatnot, that I have in my backlog that have essentially been unopened. 
And this first one right out of the gate is uh, going to put me in hot water with Kyle. Um, this would be Archer Season 2. Um, Kyle has a pet project um, wherein he is uh, slowly indoctrinating me into the cult of Archer. Um, so this is like an annual tradition for him. He yeah. just like mails me or gifts me a season of Archer with the expectation that I'll consume it. And eventually, someday, uh, I'll be able to get like 90% of the jokes he makes. <laughs> like all of his reference, all his references to Archer jokes and stuff that I that go right over my head. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea is this is meant to like boost my vocabulary, essentially. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, I did watch the first disc, like the, the first season that he sent me about a year ago. So I've, I've made an honest effort, but I still haven't cracked open season two. Sorry, Kyle. Um, yeah. Second, you've watched more than I have. I can tell you that much. I you've watched more Archer than I have. Okay, well that that's encouraging. Thanks, Brett. Um, next one I've got here, uh, and you're going to see a theme here. A lot of it's anime. <laughs> um, uh, is Outlaw Star. Um, this is the complete Blu-ray slash DVD combo pack of the entire series. I think it's mm. like close to close to thirty episodes. Okay. Um, so not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah, that's as far as... that's pretty manageable for an entire series. That's not too bad. Yeah, but it tells you where I'm at when it <laughs> when it comes to like perspective on things. Where it's like, yeah, that is reasonable, but in my mind, for some reason, it isn't. Um, I bought this when it was brand fucking new, and that was probably like four, three years ago or so. Um, I think this is a who put this disc out? Oh, it's a Funimation disc. Uh, so Outlaw Star was uh, actually aired on American television um, on Cartoon Network, the uh, Toonami mm-hmm. block, uh, the After School block. Um, I watched quite a bit of that. Um, original tv broadcast um i think it was in the late 90s or early 2000s um but i'd never finished the series however the uh the design work and some of the concepts in this series always stuck with me um i found myself drawing a lot of things uh, through high school and college that looked like a lot of the stuff in the show um so it stuck with me and it's something that i've been meaning to revisit i just haven't um although i'd very much like to um in that with, same vein. Uh, with like anime shows, I don't know much about their shows. Are they very like story based or are they more episodic? Like, you know, each episode is its own contained story or is it like just one long 30 episode story? Uh, depends on the, the genre you're dealing with, but for the most part, it's one long continuous story. Okay. Um, I want to say that's that's a typical thing. Um, with most anime and uh, tokusatsu too, like Ultraman and Kamen Rider, like Kamen Rider these days is is epi- it's a one continuous story. Um, back in the day, not so much. Ultraman was like mo- there's a reason the the phrase Monster of the Week is a thing. It's because shows like Ultraman were literally that, where literally mm-hmm. a monster shows up every week and has to get blowed up. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, most anime it's like one continuous story um, with with diversions here and there um it's it's a running gag in anime that's like if a show's on long enough they will go to the beach so we can see everyone in their beach gear and if it's on even longer than that they'll go to hot springs again so we can see them in towels (laughs) (laughs) and then if it goes on for a really long time then they'll play some sort of sport usually like baseball or volleyball or something 
again so yeah. we can see them in new clothes. <laughs> Got to give the fans what they want, I guess, you know? I, f- I feel like that's usually an indication that's like, okay, guys, we need to wrap it up. That's <laughs> like why. It's like, because we've been to the beach too many goddamn times. <laughs> uh, but moving right along, and in very much the same vein as it's uh, essentially from the same era and, in fact, animated by the same studio. Um and in fact, was aired on American television. <laughs> Cowboy Bebop. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a box set of the entire series. I think again, it's about twenty-five episodes, twenty-six episodes plus the movie. Because why the fuck not? Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably didn't notice, but the movie is still in the shrink wrap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I haven't yeah. even touched either of these. Um, and Cowboy Bebop is heralded as. Especially among like Western viewers, uh, it's heralded as like the masterpiece of Japanese t- televised animation. Yeah, um, I don't know how its reputation is in Japan. I know it's pretty popular, but especially here, uh, it's held in the highest of regards. Um, and I'd very much like to check it out, uh, especially because it's it's again same studio Sunrise. Uh, they have a knack for budgeting really well. Where there's certain studios that really fuck things up seriously, where it's like, um, does the does the name uh, Evangelion mean anything to you? I don't think so. No. Okay. Well, uh, a- ask your friends if 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 they've heard of it, because especially if they're animation fans, um, because it's notorious as being an example of what happens when you do not balance your account books <laughs> in the world of animation, <laughs> uh, yeah. because they That's literally important. ran out of money. They literally ran out of money to the point that they had no animation budget for the final episode. The point that they were drawing on scratch paper and animating like not, it was just like really experimental, just like slideshow kind of bullshit. Really? That's, yeah. that's actually pretty interesting, though. <laughs> uh, I mean, especially from that director, uh, Hideaki Anno. Um, he he is a mad genius. Um, mm-hmm. You might want to look into him, Brad. I think you. I think you could find something in his filmography that would work for you. Um, he did the uh, Shin Godzilla movie from. Uh, oh, okay. Tw- yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty sixteen. Yep. Um, yep. Definitely check that out. Even if you don't care about anything else he's I, ever done. I have seen that one. Yeah, I did like that movie. Yeah. Um, just imagine that editing style and that sense of humor, um, but in animation. Uh, his okay. his editing in particular is really masterful, unique kind of stuff. Um, so for him, he made it work for him. Um, yeah. But in the in the hands of a less talented individual, that would have been a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Cowboy Bebop, as far as I know, it's like 26, 26 episodes of nothing but hits where it's like, wow, there's no fat on this thing. We really, mm-hmm. we really paced it out and made it work for us. Um, but moving along here, uh, I have one more anime box set, and this is like a special fucking edition one with an art book. And again, it's still in the shrink wrap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is Megalobox, and I know very little about this, although from what I've read, it's actually a remake of a series that I'm familiar with, um, but in a non, like untraditional way. So this is supposed to be a remake, a sci-fi-themed remake of Ashita no Joe, um, which is a, it means a tomorrow's Joe a strange way to phrase it but the joe okay. of tomorrow <laughs> all right <laughs> so, okay um Astono joe is from like the late 60s and it's a uh, it's a story about a boxer uh from the slums of i don't know if it's tokyo or just some metropolis in japan and uh 
it's like a really kind of hard edge story it's pretty grimy especially from that era of of the medium um and it's it's one of those stories that has like storytelling elements and character designs and character concepts that like resonate to this very day um such that apparently they decided to remake it um with a sci-fi theme where it's not just boxing it's cyborg boxing (laughs) (laughs) so it's it's imagine the uh uh, the powered armor exoskeleton that Matt Damon had in uh, Elysium. Mm-hmm. Imagine that, but people are punching each other. <laughs> that sounds fun. That it sounds, sounds fun. pretty fucking fun, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I picked this up knowing very little about it other than it was a remake of something that uh, I really I revere, even though I haven't seen much of it outside of like the really truncated movie adaptations of like 100 episode tv series which are never a good idea but but they do it a lot in anime Mm -hmm. um but yeah this one's pretty high on my list of things i'd like to check out and holy shit it's only 13 episodes so hmm. i think that that is something i think even you can manage that 13 episodes Mm. and what are are they hour or half hour i think they're only half oh get out of here get out of here you can manage that Red's like I could do that standing on my head. <laughs> I'm over here thinking about rewatching Lost from the beginning, and I mean, oh, 13 oh. episodes. Yeah, I, that's nothing. Oh, is it that time of year again? It's time for Lost, Brad. <laughs> it's, it's been a while. It's been a long while. It's uh, it's overdue. I mean, I know you're a fan, so I, like, how many times do you watch that all the way through? Uh, I mean, cons- I because when it was airing. I would always rewatch the series up to the new season premiering. Wow. Um, so if you Commitment. count that, I probably would have been like six times minimum. Um, but after it ended, I think I've maybe only done one full rewatch from beginning to end. Um, and I think there was one time where uh, I was seeing a girl and we were watching uh, Lost together. And then the relationship ended and I never finished watching it without her. So, uh, um, yeah, so it's overdue. It's well overdue. See, I did the opposite. I started The Sopranos with a gal and kept right on watching The Sopranos. <laughs> <laughs> if it was my first time watching through it, I would have kept going without her. But I was like, it- ah, I mean, I've already seen it. And, uh, <laughs> um, so I got one more here, and this is not animated. Um, and this is also in the shrink wrap. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so this is that's awesome. Westworld season one. Oh, okay, th- all right. This one uh, has just a tiny story behind it. Uh, I don't have HBO. I have not had HBO since I lived with my parents a long time ago, uh, which kind of sucks because there's a lot of good things on HBO. Uh, things I'd like to check out for sure. Um, the Yule Brenner movie. I had a thing for um, at some point in my life, probably like high school age. Uh, and it's you know obviously based on the Michael Crichton novel, um, but this TV series I heard very good things about. I did not choose to put this on my shelf. Some motherfucker from my place of work decided I needed to put this on my shelf. Wow, really? Need yes. I I showed up for work one day and this guy, this very 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 socially inept guy, uh, put this <laughs> on my desk. He said, "It's the greatest show. You need to watch it." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> and now, to this, this like, day hmm? is this permanently on your shelf or is this alone no he gave this to me 
It's wow. in the shrink wrap, Brad. <laughs> I wish I had coworkers like yours, man. That's awesome. Well, he was really odd. He was very odd, extremely yeah. odd. And uh, I was, you know, sometimes it's like if you give a mouse a cookie, like I, <laughs> I was nice to the kid, <laughs> and I, yeah. I guess I was too nice because, like everyone else, kind of ignored him, and I was friendly with him, and like actually genuinely asked how he was doing from time to time, and I guess that meant something to him because he just said. You like movies and stuff, right? This is the greatest show ever. You need to watch it. And I was like, okay, thank you. I, I'm i never going to open it, but okay. <laughs> I'm just impressed that he got you it on Blu-ray and not DVD. I mean, that's, I mean, I no, don't like this I, guy already. I think I bought him lunch uh, out of guilt after that because <laughs> I, I, I know that, that even if it was on sale, it's still, that's a box set of a season of television on Blu-ray. That's, that's yeah. not super cheap. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, I kind of hate when people do nice things for me because I feel like I have to do something back. So it's almost like he just like put you in an obligation now that I think about it. Well, yeah, and it's it's always the case with me where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm just a nice guy. I don't particularly like you. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm not going to be your friend even though you friended me on the Facebook, unwarranted, right, right. by the way. <laughs> It's like you. That's just me being me. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, and I don't want to uh, disparage his uh, taste in movies and shows, but I know I'm in the minority here. But me personally, with Westworld, I would put that thing at the bottom of your to watch pile. I'm not a fan of Westworld. I gave it two seasons, and they keep trying to. They they almost brought me in for a third. Everyone's like, oh. The third season was where Westworld changes for the better. This is what the show is always meant to be. No, I'm not falling for it again. That's the same thing they said about season two. No, I'm out. I'm out. God, that's like a stock market mentality where it's like, just hang in there. Just hang on there. It'll, be, it'll get better. <laughs> it's, what, it's what everybody said. Everyone's like, oh, Westworld season one is so great. So I watched it and I bar- I could barely get through it. I, I really disliked it. And then season two comes out. And I'm like, I didn't like the show. I'm not going to watch season two. But all the reviews I see are like, Westworld improved for the better. This is what we were waiting for in season one, even though all those people said they love season one. But now season two is what they're waiting for. And so I get watch season two, and it's maybe slightly better, but it's pretty much just as bad as the first. And just because they're going to throw in Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad into season three doesn't mean I'm going to watch season three either. I'm out. I'm done. Wow, that that's a sign of desperation when you start trying to do the cross promotional bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> like, seriously, I hate when they do that. It's like, yeah, just it's like you think just because I know a thing or a guy from another thing that I'm gonna watch your thing. <laughs> like, yep, desperate, get out of here with that bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, box set rant concluded. Uh, Brad, <laughs> balls to you. What do you got? Um, you know, I, I've only got. Uh, I don't have a ton more. I'll, I'll do maybe one more thing. Should I, I'll let you choose. Should I talk about some Scream Factory releases or some 4K releases that are on my uh, uh, backlog? Well, you know, just based on the stuff you've shared today and also on other episodes and whatnot, you're you're a horror guy, Brad. Like, if you're yeah. a horror enthusiast, I think it's got to be Scream, man. All right, let's do it. Um, this is actually good because... Uh, Probably the least embarrassing uh, option. There's a couple 4Ks in there I'm embarrassed to say I've never seen. So, good choice. (laughs) Uh, No, for a while, well, this is a little embarrassing, I guess. For a while there, um, you know, with Scream Factory, their collector's editions, they offer a slipcover for the first three months. You're guaranteed the slipcover when you buy it. 
And there was a while there, I guess I'm still a little bit in that zone, where I was just buying Scream Factory releases within the first three months, just because I was so paranoid about getting slipcovers. And not that I have slipcovers for all of my Scream Factory releases, it's not like I'm going on eBay and buying them, but I just got in the habit of buying like almost every Scream Factory collector's edition, just so I could get the slipcover. So these are just a few of their releases that not saying I wouldn't ever pick them up, but when I picked these up, I did it basically only because of the uh, slipcover. So this is why they're in my backlog because they're not particularly high on my watch list. Um, the first one, which I have heard is actually a pretty good slasher film uh, behind the mask, the rise of Leslie Vernon, which is, I think is kind of a, a little bit of a meta slasher deconstruction of the genre which so I think I would like it actually, um, but it's just one that uh, you know I wouldn't have rushed out to buy this had it not been for the slipcover. Um, but I'm I am intrigued to check it out. I've heard good things. And uh, yeah, you know. actually, when it was announced, uh, the Scream Factory release was when I found out about that movie. Uh, I think Robert mm-hmm. England's in there. Uh, yep, yep. I think the gimmick is that it's like a, a pseudo documentary. Like it, it's. It's supposed to be like about a film crew following somebody who's a like an aspiring slasher or something. Oh yeah, um, that's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. As soon as I read the description, I was like, "Wow!" Um, I think I I think I attempted to write that film in college <laughs> <laughs> with my roommate. Um, yeah. So the just the novelty of that, I was like, "Holy shit! That's such a that's such a brilliant idea!" Like even if it's not a great movie, the premise. Uh, the premise alone is is worth the price of admission I, I would hope yeah one thing i think i mean i'm sure there's many reasons why it was never like a huge film um but the poster for this movie not the scream factory cover but the poster like the theatrical poster is really just bland looking it looks like some just like garbage direct to dvd vod slasher crap um so i never really paid it too much attention until i heard of the premise and i was like oh that actually sounds way better than the movie looks based on the poster so um yeah it's definitely gotten a bit of a cult following in recent years no it makes perfect sense i mean even the title's kind of raggedy like it doesn't have much to it uh it doesn't you don't even really piece together what it's about like just based on the title and i mean calling back to what you said about like the, the vhs era like your your cover i want to say that was from like the mid 90s or late 90s um yeah that's that's how you sold your fucking movie <laughs> was you put Actually, something 2007 2007 2007 so, holy shit yeah uh well it just it feels that dated because the poster looks so bad <laughs> i mean it could have fooled me but yeah. <laughs> um especially in the horror world though i mean your your cover art is really important um mm-hmm. and again that title's kind of shitty <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> It had a lot working against it. It had a lot working against it. So what? Two thousand seven. Robert England isn't a selling point to the kids. <laughs> you think the kids would love him then at that age? But I guess I guess not. Um, this next one uh, is another one I pretty much only picked up for the slipcover, and um, it's a film I've seen half of. I watched it on cable, probably like TNT, TBS, at some point a long time ago. Uh, turned it off because I thought it was boring and I thought it was stupid and I thought it sucked. Um, but I did pick it up. Uh, it is The Lawnmower Man, um, which uh, is not really an adaptation of the Stephen King short story. 
but you know, as a as a kind of an interesting time capsule and look at uh, technology and how it was viewed and presented back in I think ninety ninety two. Uh, there is some interest there, and uh, I mean, it's got Jeff Fahey and Pierce Brosnan, so some interest there as well. And I do believe uh, this one does contain a director's cut, which I think might have been the thing that did push me over the edge into actually picking it up, because I'm like, well, I thought the theatrical cut sucked, so let's tack on an extra 20 minutes and see if that makes it any better. So one day we will see. Oh wow! Thank you so much for bringing that up, Brad. I <laughs> I love the lawnmower man. Really, um, really. I, yes, um, it's pretty bad, um, but it got me at the right point in my life. 1992 CGI virtual reality. <laughs> that was the stuff, man. What I mean, I brought up the John Connor haircut, and I yeah. didn't mention the earring, or I did mention the vest, though. But the the middle <laughs> part with the shaved back and the vest and a skateboard and like that that was the lawnmower man in fact the kid in that movie is the kid from last action hero oh there you go yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah um yeah that movie is the early 90s in bottle form uh, yeah for me anyway um it's not good but it's just very nostalgic for me um all the all the cgi effects are very ballsy for the time where it's like i don't think we're ready for that but okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah minutes minutes of uh cgi hmm yeah and then like jurassic park came out like six minutes later (laughs) but it's just it's a good thing this came out before jurassic park otherwise this could have been even looked even worse (sighs) yeah absolutely but um man jeff fahey must be like the the king of the the horror schlock of of that particular point in time because he was doing a lot of shit like that i think he even did one of the psycho movies around that <laughs> like, yeah that sounds then, right like, yeah one of the dark man sequels and like, there's a movie of his called body parts that i've been meaning to see for a really long time uh, i've heard mm-hmm. it's not very good but you know i like jeff fahey for the most part but yeah yeah one more man i have i have a lot of nostalgia for um i've been wanting to do it for catching up on cinema for quite a while now i haven't found the right opportunity but uh, i haven't seen the director's cut uh, mm. and if mm. i have i didn't know it um but yeah, yeah that's one that when that came out i was really tempted to to buy that right away because i was like i know this is crap but it's my crap god damn it <laughs> yeah i mean it, it's a pretty loaded blu-ray you've got the two cuts of the movie there's a making of documentary with the director jeff fahey i mean so it's pretty solid um the director's cut is 141 minutes so that's Ooh. uh even that's as, a kick in the nuts <laughs> even as a fan of the movie that's a that's all that's an undertaking uh, um brad i made a a video loop um, from that movie um, oh really yeah uh, also uh not to completely derail myself but there's a there's a movie from around the same era i think like 96 95 uh ghost in the machine okay um, it's a techno thriller but it's, it's a slasher movie where the where the killer comes through technology and, Ooh, all and right. uh, grandma karen allen has to stop him <laughs> it's wonderful Sounds pretty fun it's wonderful you need to see yeah. it if, if you're yeah. in the mood for like a, a 90s like gore fest check it out um, <laughs> tech techno gore fest it's a specialized subgenre. but um yep. i made a video loop um to harass my friends with way back when um it's just i took a a clip of pierce brosnan in that movie uh, jeff fahey is using his telepathy on him 
because he's super smart and he's got those powers. He's got Professor X powers. And uh, Pierce Brosnan starts massaging his own face because, like, apparently he's trying. That's his way of, like, combating the tele- the telepathic invasion. And he- he's wearing glasses. And he's like, eh, you're trying to get in my head, Job. Get, get out. <laughs> and he, like, starts doing this. He starts, like, diddling his fingers over his face. And he, he goes, <laughs> <laughs> and he ends up throwing his glasses across the room. And I made a loop. I made a loop of just that. Yeah, that's pretty it's, good. That is good. I, I, I'll have to send it to you. <laughs> I'm yeah. doing a bad job explaining it, but just goes to show, like, I put that movie under a magnifying glass at some point in my life and uh, never quite forgot about it. Yeah, it's an interesting film. I mean, even just the, the history of it with just sort of like trying to tack on a Stephen King connection. And I think, didn't he end up suing them or something? I mean, even I that's just did. very interesting, <laughs> but um, yeah. So it's, uh, you know, the more we talk about it, the more I'm like, I actually kind of glad I have, maybe I'll take this off my backlog pretty soon. I'm, <laughs> I will say if you guys do an episode for catching up on cinema, I will watch this movie. That's, uh, that, that might be what makes me pull the trigger on it finally. <laughs> don't threaten me, Brad. <laughs> uh, I, I very much look forward to the day you do a micro review of it on the Cinema Speak podcast. Yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> it, it'll be good. It'll be worth it for sure. Um, I've got another one here that I uh, have on my list to watch. It is um, Serial Mom, which is a John Waters film. And uh, I have not seen any John Waters films. Uh, this one. I don't believe it is viewed as one of his best or anything like that. So I don't think I would want it to be my introduction to him. Um, but again, I picked it up because it's got that uh, got that sweet slipcover on it. So I had to had to pop on it when I was going through that phase. Um, but John Waters is definitely you know his entire filmography put on my backlog because I do need to dig into some of his stuff. Yeah, I think you, Kyle, and I all have him like dog-eared is something we we really need to know more about um mm-hmm. i only know that movie via a handful of clips of kathleen turner being fucking hilarious um, yeah so at the very least you get that <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah john waters i know obviously him i know his work by reputation i know him from random cameos in the strangest of places <laughs> like the chipmunks mm-hmm. movie and shit but um yeah, I actually haven't watched one of his movies front to back, but I would very much like to. Yeah, he's got a very interesting reputation because I feel like he is in some ways like a household name with just like a lots of lots of people because of his personality and his appearances. Um, but I would say, I mean, even though a lot of people might know who John Waters is, I feel like probably not that many people have actually sat down and watched one of his films. But he does have a very devoted following of people that love his films so he's he's a very interesting director and just uh how he's been received honestly uh, i mean i don't know if this takes me down a few pegs for some people but um honestly i'd prefer to like just watch a retrospective about him and his Mm -hmm. filmography rather than watch his films because as much as I am open-minded when it comes to watching racy shit on film there's certain things that I know are in his films that's like I don't I don't know if I need to watch people fuck while chickens are poking them like <laughs> like I don't know if I need to see people eat shit on camera like yeah. <laughs> it's like I mean sure I I guess the rest of the movie's 
not that, but at the same time, it's like, do I really get anything out of that other than being able to say, oh, I've seen that. <laughs> it's like, do I really want to be that guy at the cocktail party? It's like, oh, John Waters, yeah, I'm very familiar with his work. His oeuvre. I feel like now if, when I have friends over, I gotta, we got to put on some John Waters movies. That's going to be the next thing I subject them to. That's a, yeah, that do good. I really want to see singing assholes? <laughs> and I don't, I don't mean jerks. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's like, eh. I, I mean, if Kyle makes me fuck, whatever, I don't care. I can watch <laughs> pretty much anything without yep. taking offense to it. Yeah, it's just a You'll matter of like, of do I really want to? <laughs> um, and then the last couple here that I have, there, there's more Scream Factory releases that I have in my backlog, but these are just a few of the ones. Um, these ones here uh, are... I've got a feeling you've seen w- one of these. It's a movie and its sequel. Uh, we have Teen Wolf and Teen Wolf 2, which um, I have not seen either of them. Uh, and Teen Wolf 2 is a perfect example of me buying a movie simply for the slipcover because uh, I, I don't know why I would want it in my collection <laughs> other, other than that. But... Um, Teen Wolf is a film that uh, I just, for some reason, have never checked out. So that's one I do want to see. And I guess the Jason Bateman aspect of it has a little bit of uh, incentive for me to maybe check it out eventually, the sequel. Um, I mean, that's the thing with a lot of movies in my collection and stuff I buy. If there's, like, one actor in it that I can justify purchasing, it's like, well, you know, Jason Bateman is in this terrible movie. It's maybe worth it. There's some interest there. I'll check it out. Um but yeah, so those are those are just a few samplings of my Scream Factory backlog. <laughs> I actually haven't seen either Teen Wolf movie. Okay, um, okay. I mean, I'm I was born in the late '80s, um, <laughs> but but that was a little before my time of yeah. that particular brand of the '80s. Uh, I think the first one would probably be fun to go back to. Um, mm-hmm. Second one, I don't know. Although the idea of a boxing werewolf does appeal to me quite a bit <laughs> i'm not gonna lie <laughs> it's like and hmm i like I, werewolves i, I love i boxing. love the title <laughs> team wolf i, I love the title t-o-o t-o-o i mean honestly the more i think about it it's worth owning just for the title that's that's a pretty great way to name your sequel i gotta say Teen Wolf also. Yeah. <laughs> I really like it. I'm serious. I it's, think it's a great it's title. Cute. It's cute. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, no, that, that's that's fun. And so I guess while I'm uh, steadily building uh, my Scott Adkins collection, um, by the way, I bought uh, The Accidental Spy uh, a couple months ago on DVD uh, just because he's in like two shots of it. <laughs> oh, there you go. And uh, his eyebrows look terrible. <laughs> like you can tell, it was before he realized, like I'm gonna do this for a career. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's officially his first screen credit. But okay. I'm not gonna lie, I got through that whole movie and didn't see him. Like, <laughs> like and I was very upset. I was like, so I had to watch. I had to watch this whole horse shit Jackie Chan movie. This really bad early 2000s Jackie Chan movie, worse yeah. than The Medallion. Worse than the tuxedo, Ouch. and I didn't even see the whole fucking reason I put I paid good money for this. So I actually had to look up online like the frame that he was in, and I was like, "That was him. His yeah, eyebrows look terrible. That is rough." <laughs> uh, so while I'm doing that, I guess your your new mission in life is to uh, build a small shrine to Julian Sands. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So you can He's show it man. off to guests at your home. <laughs> like, behold, he, I mean, my life's work. Shrine for anybody, it's got to be him. That's right. It's like, most of this is crap, but I own it. <laughs> it is mine. <laughs> uh, well, I guess it's to me, and I'll try to keep this quick. Um, and it should be quick, being as uh, these are not movies I've seen, and uh, nor are these movies I think I'm capable of seeing. Um, so I mentioned to you before we started recording that... Uh, I had an ex-girlfriend who had some French movies that she really liked watching. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. they were Region 3, I think, maybe 2. Um, so she didn't have a region-free DVD player. Uh, I was kind enough to give her mine. And then we broke up, and I didn't buy a replacement. So now I have movies on my shelf that I acquired at some point um, that I cannot watch now. Um, so I'm just going to go over those real quick. Um, I have, um, was it Otokotachi no Yamato? Uh, so this is uh, Men of the Yamato. Uh, this is a Japanese World War II drama about uh, sailors on the battleship Yamato. Uh, so this is like a war drama, I guess. Uh, politically, a little, a little icky. Uh, <laughs> it's like any, anything <laughs> having to do with war, like World War II and the Japanese military is always a little like. Mm. Let's be careful, guys. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, it was a really big budget movie for its day. I think it came out in like the mid two thousands. Okay. Um, and I've never seen it. <laughs> it's been on my shelf since then. Uh, but at the time, I was intrigued by the concept. Uh, these are not movies of this scale are very rare in Japanese cinema, especially things of this subject matter. Uh, so when they come around, it's like it's always a big fucking deal. Um, but yeah, haven't seen it. And as far as I know, it hasn't gotten a uh, international release so it's the only way i know of to see it uh maybe someday <laughs> hopefully someday yeah this is this is like a, a true backlog because like you, you you can't watch these i mean yeah yeah this, this, this yeah. is the backiest of the backlog <laughs> you're at the bottom of the pile right now that, yeah i mean that by by design like they can't <laughs> be anywhere else um now i have a korean uh dvd for uh Ryuga uh, Gotoku, like a dragon. Uh, so, are you familiar with the Yakuza series of games? Yeah, uh, yeah. I know. I've never played them, but I know what they are. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what this is. It's a film oh. adaptation of, I think it was the first game, um, and it's directed by Takashi Miike. Mm. Um, oh wow! And I haven't seen it because, yes, this is a Region Three DVD, and I think there was an error with the subtitles. Um, that I I discovered after I bought it. <laughs> oh really? So no, so I can't watch it, and it won't be in English, it, even <laughs> if I could. Uh, however, this is a movie that, as far as I know, did get a U.S. release on DVD at some point. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's very much something I'd like to check out because those games are kooky and bananas, and uh, Takashi Miike is also kooky and bananas. <laughs> so it seems like it's a match perfect fit. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and the last one of these. Uh, lost dvds i have is uh, a taiwanese dvd for crows um which is Ooh. based on a manga it's like a, i like that cover yeah it's a it's like a bunch of teenage gangsters um the cover is slightly reminiscent of the lost boys or like yeah. a i don't know a shot from a tarantino movie <laughs> <laughs> uh 
Yeah, it's apparently based on a manga that I'm not familiar with called Crows. Um, I think this is also a Takashi Miike movie. Um, and they made more than one of these. I think the sequel is called Crows Zero. And both of them uh, had, like, really massive scaled, like, think, like, Gangs of New York style, like, like hand-to-hand throwdowns with like masses of people fighting in the streets and that alone i was like i want to see that (laughs) Um, but uh this uh taiwanese dvd is uh i don't think the english subtitles function on it and also it's a foreign region so kind of fucked um also i think this one also got a uh international release so if i really want to i can pick it up elsewhere Uh, but for now it's just taking up space (laughs) yeah and the uh, last two I have here, uh, I mean, obviously, as me and Brad have been going back and forth, there's there's more, but we're just, <laughs> we're trying our best to pare it down to the, the stuff that's worth talking about. Um, but, so the last two I have here are Blu-rays, and this would be the title on the the title on the cover says "Attack of the Yakuza." <laughs> yeah. Um, this movie. This is a German Blu-ray. Um, really? The only the only other outlet I know of in which you can obtain this film is a South African DVD. Um, wow! This is uh, the title I've known it by my like as as long as it's been around is uh, the Broken Path, and uh, the the headlining stars of this movie are Johnny Young Bosch and Dan Southworth, directed by Koichi Sakamoto. All three of these people are Power Rangers alum. Um, really and as far as i understand and i've seen clips of this on youtube but never the whole film um as far as i understand this this movie is just an action showcase like the martial arts work is phenomenal even though the plot is thread is nothing (laughs) it's it's just like former assassin gets hunted down by his assassin cohorts they fight the end it's, (laughs) it's barely 90 minutes but for whatever fucking reason this movie is only available on german blu-ray and South African DVD. And the Weird. South African DVD, as far as I know, is out of print. And this fucking German Blu-ray is Region B. <laughs> so I've been trying to see this. I've been actively hunting this movie down for years, decades. And I still can't fucking watch it even though I have it on my shelf. <laughs> it's so fucking annoying. Uh, so Attack of the Yakuza slash The Broken Path. Maybe someday. <laughs> Maybe let me so. ask you, let me throw this out there. So let's say, I don't know how much region-free players go for nowadays, but let's say that a you know region A Blu-ray of that movie comes out and it's, let's say it's half the price of a region-free player. If you want to watch that movie bad enough, would you buy the Blu-ray or would you just say, I might as well just go all in and buy the region-free player finally? Mmm. Uh, well, caveat: if the region-free Blu-ray player supported region-free DVDs, oh okay, then I would absolutely buy the Blu-ray player. Okay, um, but otherwise, I might just buy the disc. Yeah, um, but yeah, the DVD thing actually would make a big difference because I think I brought this up on previous episodes for whatever the fuck reason. Um, I don't know if the entire nation of South Korea has a deal with the U.S., but um, for whatever fucking reason, a lot of their movies, a lot of their big movies, only come out on DVD uh, domestically in Korea, and then they appear on Blu-ray here before they appear in Korea. Hmm. So so there's a lot of 
weird movies that get kind of lost in translation and only stay in Korea, but they only ever come out on like region three DVD. Yeah. So it's like, oh, well, I guess I'm never seeing that. (laughs) (laughs) So only like the really big movies escape, like escape (laughs) South Korea. But um, for whatever reason, they come out here on Blu-ray before they come out there. It's really strange. Hmm. Um, But yeah, that's, that's definitely something to think about. Maybe we're living in a backwards world. Backwards man. Backwards world. I don't remember the rest of that song, the Tom Green backwards man or whatever. <laughs> you made, you made me song. think of Freddy Got Fingered. <laughs> That's a good reference. That's a good reference. Ah, Brad, you made me think of Freddy Got Fingered. That's I'm a, sorry. I'm sorry. That's a deep cut. <laughs> uh, so the last one I have here uh, is a film that I purchased like directly through the the people who made it. Um, in support of them while being unable to watch their film. <laughs> uh, this is called Night Shooters. And the reason I bought this is because uh, the headlining star of this film, uh, Jean-Paul Lai, uh, he is starting to make waves in the action world. Um, he's a stuntman slash martial artist that um, most recently, you probably you if you looked for him, <laughs> you, I'm not going to pretend that you, you knew who he was, but... Um, mm-hmm. He was in Hobbs and Shaw. Um, okay. He got beat up by Jason Statham in that scene from the trailer where th- with the the guy's head gets put up against the I- identification yeah. panel. He's yeah. in that scene. He does nothing of note. He's just there. But he has, <laughs> okay. he has goofy, like, Goku hair from Dragon Ball, so he stands out in a crowd. <laughs> so it's like, hey, it's John Paul. Oh, John Paul's down. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but he's starting to do that in very large film productions where he's he's that guy that he falls down but he falls down cool (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and this movie is like one of maybe two movies that he headlines i actually own one of his other ones on a on a blu-ray from our region that i can actually watch called a i think it's just called like prison break it's a cambodian martial arts movie it's first time i've ever watched a cambodian movie but it was not half bad um there you go not bad at all actually um but yeah i i I think this is a UK production. I could be totally talking out of my ass, but um, it actually, the premise kind of reminded me of uh, my friend, uh, his movie, the coup de cinema film, where it's like a, it starts out as like a movie within a movie where it's like, we're following a film crew trying to make a shitty low budget film. And then in this case, uh, a bunch of gangsters show up at the location they're filming at and shenanigans ensue and turns into a fight for their lives. Mm, Um, Okay. But yeah, uh, this is, I think, Region B. Yeah, it's Region B. And I don't think they mentioned that on their website. <laughs> so so I bought it from them, and I like I advertised it for them a little bit on like the Twitter and whatnot. I was like, hey, thanks for the movie and whatnot. And then I tried to put it in my machine. I was like, well, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Story of my life. Well, at, least the, nice bu- and- at least it was an issue with, like, uh, you know, a small you're buying it right from them like you know if amazon or something tried to pull that crap i would be i'd be calling their customer service in an instant it'd be on speed dial (laughs) i forget what the line is from king of the hill but it's like it's like i have a multi-line phone and nothing but time (laughs) it's like (laughs) i'm your worst nightmare (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that's that's brad um well, Brad, I think that's about it for this uh, this uh, episode of Tales from the Shelf. 
I do want to throw out one more thing. Not another movie, but uh, I didn't tell you about this. I did a little homework, and this will just take a second. Sure. Um, thanks to the Blu-ray.com, uh, my movies app, I did a little homework while I was at work. It was a slow day at work the other day, so I did some homework here. And I calculated my percentages of my backlog in my collection. So I won't give you any hard numbers, but I will tell you, like, percentage-wise. So movies in my collection that I have never seen, never seen at all. Now, if it's, like, a, a, a set of films in one, if I've seen one of those, I counted it as I've seen it. So these are – I've never seen any of these. 15.9% uh, of my collection – is a complete blind spot for me. I've never seen 15.9% of them. And then we'll calculate another number. Movies in my collection that I have never watched that specific Blu-ray. So it could be ones I've never seen ever, or maybe ones that I saw a long time ago on DVD, never watched the Blu-ray. So obviously that number will be higher. That is 41.7% of my collection has essentially been a waste of money. I've never watched 41.7% of my discs. So there you go. That's uh, the, the, kind of rough, not, maybe not exact, but rough percentage-wise of what uh, is in my backlog of my collection. Yeah, I'm not going to lie, Brad. Those aren't happy numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I will say the 15.9%, I thought was going to be higher. I was actually like, oh, only 15.9%. That's not too bad. <laughs> Yeah, I apologize. This is something that uh, I know you wanted to get into on this episode. Um, so I don't, I don't know if you wanted to get into it real quick here, but um, your uh, Blu-ray.com was it my movies app? Yeah, yeah. It's basically a good way to track uh, your collection, so you can download it and you can go through and scan all your Blu-rays on the barcode, and it just adds them into your collection. So you always can see how many movies are in your collection. You know, sometimes I'm at work and I just get sad that I don't have my collection with me. I can just go on the app and just browse digitally what I have. And uh, it's it's a pretty great app. And so it made it kind of I still had to go through and count the ones I've seen and stuff. But it made it a little easier to figure out um, what percentage uh, of my collection is in my backlog. Ah, so uh, I'm guessing the scanning procedure is like part of your ritual for when when you get a new film at your home. Yep. Yeah. Usually I used to do a thing where I would uh, kind of keep like a new purchase shelf and like any of my new purchases, I'd kind of leave out for a little while just in case I wanted to watch them. Um, I've kind of been trying more lately, just like as soon as I buy something to get it on the shelf because I don't want to lose track of it or, you know, misplace it. But yeah, I always uh, scan it into my collection first thing. So that way I don't forget about scanning it later. Um, and uh, yeah, that way you can, it's a nice, easy way to keep uh, up to date with what's in your collection. And uh, I almost always take the shrink wrap off of my, uh, off of my Blu-rays. Once I put them on the shelf, like uh, if I keep them on my new purchase shelf, I'll uh, leave the shrink wrap on, usually for at least a couple weeks in case I do want to return them. But uh, yeah, once I put them on the shelf, I take the shrink wrap off scan them in and then uh they sit on my shelf and collect dust uh at least <laughs> at least 41.7 percent of them do uh, i should i should uh get that app man i didn't know about yeah, that it's, it's pretty handy and i gotta tell you that when i first downloaded it it was actually it sounds like a lot of work but going through and just scanning every one of your movies i, I, I bet it's at, fun 
I made a night fun. of it. It was fun. Yeah, no, it, you can be like uh, the guy at the library book sale who's scanning everything and throwing it in the shopping cart. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm apparently a layman because I, uh, I just, uh, I have a Google sheet. <laughs> that I, hey, well, that's I, a good way to do it too. I, yeah. ha- I hand type this shit into. I didn't that's know. More I didn't dedication. Know, I didn't know that there was an app that could do that for me. <laughs> yeah, check it out, man. Uh, but yeah, my my uh, ritual for bringing new movies into the home is pretty similar to yours. Uh, I just hand type it on a spreadsheet. Um, I have it separated by medium, like DVD, Blu-ray, 4K, and whatnot. Um, note that like we didn't go over any 4Ks today, so maybe we need to have yeah. a 4K episode sometime soon. Yeah, we may need to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's there's a lot we could get into there. Yeah, and uh, like like you used to do apparently, or maybe still do. I I have like a portion of my shelf reserved for stuff that's in the queue um yeah but then again i also have like older stuff like obviously a lot of the stuff i just went over now has been there for years um so it's it's on the shelf um i don't bother to do this with the ones that i can't watch but uh things that are on the shelf that uh i haven't watched or are waiting to be watched i, I pull them out like halfway mm-hmm. and I don't know what it is about people fucking with your shit, but like a lot of times they'll like bring friends over and stuff and they'll just like start pushing them in without asking. I'm like, motherfucker, <laughs> it's like that for a reason. Like, right, you don't right. see me come into your home and fuck with your stuff. <laughs> like, 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 honestly, what, who does that? Who just comes yeah. in and fucks with your stuff like that? <laughs> they, must, they must be like OCD or something. They see it sticking out and they just, they feel the need. They're like, I got to push it in. I, I got to do it. At least one person was is like confirmed OCD, so I don't yeah. hold it against them. But some of these other people, it's like you're doing that for spite. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like you know that's gonna set me off. You're doing that on yep. purpose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I guess that concludes uh, the backlog boogie uh, portion of our uh, Tales from the Shelf episode. But um, Brad, uh, before we sign off, you may as well tell the folks at home uh, where they can find you and your uh, creative endeavors online yeah so it's uh cinema speak podcast is where you can find us um on twitter if you want to follow us there uh it is at the cinema speak or on instagram it is cinema speak podcast is our handle and if you want to find us on itunes stitcher spotify just search for cinema speak uh two words and we should come up there and we uh in the last a uh, month or so, we just crossed episode 200. So we did a big episode 200, almost like over three-hour episode. So that was uh, cool and uh, worth checking out. We had a fun time with that one. Oh, yeah. I listened to the whole thing. Uh, man, uh, hats off to you and your ability to come up with really engaging games, uh, movie-themed <laughs> games for, for the show. Because I know you uh, you did, uh, was it bar trivia uh, before the the yeah. current the current circumstances that prevent bar trivia from being a thing yep. <laughs> um, have uh, not so, done that for a few months <laughs> well it, it's good to see that you're getting your practice in still because uh yeah i was <laughs> very you, impressed some you. of some of those games were pretty fucking cool and i, I really thank hope you, yeah. you continue to use some of those drops because uh, oh yeah good, good on you for picking some of those <laughs> <laughs> um but uh, if you want to find more of our stuff uh, that is my stuff uh catching up on cinema podcast uh we do have a website. You can find us at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, and we also have the social medias in the form of an Instagram at catchinguponcinema, as well as a Twitter account at catchingcinema. And uh, 
just like Brad's show, uh, you can find us wherever better podcasts are hosted. <laughs> I think that was how they used to phrase it on like 90s television and whatnot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, that being said, uh, thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, Brad, very thank you again for, uh, for coming on the show. Uh, hopefully we can continue to do this for a long time. Definitely. All right. Well, that being said, uh, I guess we're done for the day, and uh, we'll catch you next time.